Life is back on, sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year and live betting on all of it. Log in to BetUS.com or call 800-729-3887. That's 800-729-BETUS. BetUS for 125% bonuses with promo code JONES22. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone and social and online sports betting kickoff started now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. You can also use the promo code JONES22 with crypto for a 200% bonus. That's BetUS.com. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Seth Kaiser of The Athletic. He is the film analyst covering the Kansas City Chiefs. We will get his perspective on this Chiefs team heading into the playoffs. We'll go inside the film room with Seth coming up in just a little while from right now. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, along with our Picks against the spread, and we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week coming up at the end of today's show as well. We are back after a week off. I believe this is our first official show of the new year, and we were off last week for unique circumstances that were beyond our control. We had plans to have a show last week, but then yours truly got diagnosed with COVID-19. And I got to tell you, uh, we'd be remiss, Tom, as the Thomas Bridges joins me, if I didn't open up at the beginning of the show and just share a little bit about my COVID experience. We won't take too much time because we've got plenty to talk about with the college football playoff, uh, national championship, the dogs getting it done, and the NFL playoffs and all sorts of stuff to talk about today. But I got to tell you, you know, uh, you know, I am vaccinated. I got COVID still. Still trying to pinpoint where exactly I get COVID, but Tom, the, the experience for me, it wasn't any worse than when I had the flu a couple of years ago. Uh, that was uh, a much more painful experience, but the big reason why we couldn't do this show was that I had no voice. Uh, I had an awful sore throat. My voice was just shot and gone. Uh, I barely was able to uh, do the show. Uh for television working from home for the uh, couple days there so you know made it through but it wasn't easy but certainly glad to be back and and uh folks you know the 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 vaccines and all that it didn't stop me from getting COVID you can still get COVID out there it certainly uh made it less severe where I wasn't on the struggle bus for two weeks you know I'm back I'm about probably 90 95 percent at this point but man Tom uh you know the the fatigue the you know, sore throat. I mean, those are real stuff people go through. I, I finally got to see what it's like firsthand. Uh, I'm glad to be over with, though. Thank goodness. Yeah, from what I heard, I mean, yeah, it's um, it's a no joke situation. Um, I'm glad that you're back and good to go on that. I myself, before the new year, was sick. It, don't believe it was COVID. The people I live with, they were sick as well, and they tested negative, or one of them tested negative, so we kind of figured it out. And I didn't leave my house for like four or five days. Um, right. Just 
because I was nervous. I was like, oof, I don't want to go out anywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, back in action. Um, I've been vaxxed as well, but I don't have I don't have the booster. Um, so I don't know if waning immunity, if I did end up having it and just showed test was negative. I don't, I'm not hundred percent sure, but, uh, you know, if it was, then I made it through unscathed other than running a temperature for two days and laying in bed, just sore as hell. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like everybody's getting this new one. Uh, there's more people that I know that have gotten it in the past month than I knew previously that just had the Delta or the OG one. Right. Yeah. It's uh it's been a different time, uh, you know, for everybody. And, uh, you know, with this Omicron variant, I think that's what I got because I didn't lose taste or smell and I recovered pretty fast. I like to think of it this way, Tom, I didn't have COVID COVID had me and I've been reactivated from the COVID reserve list, cleared protocols and all that. And, uh, it is uh, good to be back uh, here with you. And, and, uh, you know, certainly, these uh, these times when you go through stuff like that, when you see what other people have dealt with with COVID and such, it makes you grateful for good health and and to get through these type of things. And that uh, you know it wasn't a lot worse than what it was. And you know, and, and I've sat through you know, watching this pandemic now, like everyone else has, you know, last two years and seeing people go through this and whatnot, and and uh, you know, didn't get it until now. And I'm just glad that it wasn't worse than what it was. So thanks for everybody that reached out and and I made a point to you know see how I was doing and such and and uh, certainly means a lot. And glad to be back in action and back to business here on the uh, Jonesport as always. But uh, like we said, we have so much to get to, so much to catch up on. And where I want to start today is looking at Georgia's national title beating the Alabama Crimson Tide to claim their first national title since 1980. Four decades in the making for the Georgia Bulldogs to walk away with his national championship. And I know that we didn't have a show uh, between the semifinals and the national championship, but I'd put it out there on social media and a few other things that what I saw after the way Georgia performed in that Orange Bowl against Michigan and the way that Alabama just looked okay, they didn't look great, I felt, against Cincinnati, that Georgia was playing angry, that that SEC championship loss that they suffered, that game got their attention. And I picked Georgia to ultimately beat Alabama in that national championship game to win the rematch. And, you know, that's exactly what we saw on Monday night was this Georgia team that – these guys were not going to let what happened the first time around in December really get in their way. Um, they started out kind of slow. You know, the defense was great from the jump, but the offense took a little while to get going. And then Stetson Bennett just turned a switch when he needed to. I mean, Tom, we spend so much time in college football these days talking about the NFL quarterbacks at these power programs, you know, that, win Heisman trophies and go on to do these big things in the national football league. That's been the new trend, you know, in, in college, but this was such against the grain to see Stetson Bennett, a walk-on who will probably never start a game in the NFL 
end up leading this Georgia team to a title. I mean, this guy's got a flip phone. I mean, he is uh, he's very uncharacteristic for today's day and age. Uh, what a story that was. I mean, yeah, it is. It's a it's a hell of a story, and you know, JT Daniels will be back, and you know, it'll be it'll be different maybe next year. But for him, uh, I don't know. Did you see the Good Morning America interview with him? That dude was hungover, and rightfully so. He earned that hangover. Or, yeah, he did. He, he did that, or he was still somewhat tipsy. Uh, he looked like they just woke him up like two minutes prior and be like, hey, you're going on GMA. Get up, get up, let's go. Um, but, yeah, that's it was well-earned. Um, you know, I don't even know if he should have been on Good Morning America to begin with. I would have turned it down because uh, you know they were out partying. Uh, what what – what uh what they say they were gonna the property of the I forget what they said, something about the property not being they said that <laughs> Indianapolis was about to be torn down that night from Georgia fans. Right. It's yeah. like, oh gosh. I uh, mean, you know, and you know, it, it just means more, you know. <laughs> right, I guess so. And you know, for them, like for Georgia teams, too. We we're talking about a program. You, a long time coming, 1980, last time they won a national title. Um, something to think about, too. Before Kirby Smart showed up, Georgia wasn't bad. Mark Rick had done a good job. He was averaging 10 wins a year, had a couple SEC titles here and there, but couldn't get Georgia over that hump. And when, when Mark Rick got fired, most of the country – thought it was a terrible decision. So what are you doing getting rid of Mark Rick? This guy wins 10 games every year. He does a great job. Um, but within two years, Kirby has Georgia in the college football playoff, and they were an overtime away from winning the national championship his second year there. And then everybody said, oh, that's why you fired Mark Rick. There, this was – when you looked at this Georgia program – this was something that was waiting, you know, that this was a group that had potential that had not been reached yet. And you've seen the recruiting classes the last few years, the top recruiting classes have been Alabama and Georgia and Georgia's had a couple number one recruiting classes within the last, you know, three or four years. Thanks to Kirby smart. This was a sleeping giant and the sleeping giant has been woken up. And when you look at the SEC, they are the only conference with more than three schools that have won a national title in the BCS slash college football playoff era. No other conference has done what they've done. When you look at Florida, Georgia, Alabama, LSU, Auburn, uh, you know, all those schools have won national titles in that stretch. And the next closest one, you're talking about the old Big 12 of Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Texas. And, of course, Nebraska is in the Big 10 now. Oklahoma and Texas are headed to the SEC in the very near future here. I mean, th there's just something different in the water there in the SEC. They, it truly does mean more. I know it sounds cliche and such, but Georgia, this was – this was in the making for a long time. Kirby Smart, he was criticized for a bit. You heard from some folks the last couple of years that, you know, hey, Kirby's going to find a way to Kirby it up, that 
you know, he wasn't great in in-game situations, but this was their time. And I felt like, Tom, too, that you looked at it. Georgia had lost eight straight games to Alabama, dating back to 2008. They lost two different SEC championship games to Alabama recently. They lost, of course, in the national title a few years ago to Alabama. It felt like, to me, Tom, if Monday night wasn't the night, I don't know if that day was ever going to come. They had to get over this hump right now if they were ever going to do so, I think, because uh, at, at some point it becomes mental of some sorts. If not now, when? This was huge for them. It was. It felt like a turning point win in their program at this point. Oh, 100%. I mean, they finally got over the hump and – you know, it, it was it was time. And if you know, you know, like you said, if not now, then when? Um, because, uh, I mean, they slayed their demons and, and now maybe, uh, you know, I think Clemson will be back. But Georgia kind of tuckers right in to the lack of Clemson being in. Um, and, and now they could, you know, go on a run and, and, and be that next guarantee almost. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see how next year plays out for them, if they can continue the same success. Uh, but you know, once you win one like that, especially over Alabama, um, and, and fighting back from the SEC championship lost, I mean, now it's, you know, sky's the limit essentially now, uh, just be interesting to see this next season, how they go about if they can, they can, uh, you know, keep that same level of success and, and maybe work on going back to back. And as far as Alabama goes, they have nothing to hang their hats on. I did find it funny when I heard Nick Saban in the post-game news conference say that, Hey, this team still won the sec championship. You can't take it away from them. I mean, you just lost the national title game. You're still talking about the sec title. I mean, that's kind of, the SEC, you know, the, the Alabama mindset in a nutshell of how much they, they care about the SEC and, and what that means, uh, if they're still talking about that, even if they're, after they've lost the national championship game. But this was supposed to be a down year for, for, for Alabama, a rebuilding year of sorts for the Crimson Tide. And even then, you lose to Texas A&M on the road in a very close game. You had some games this year that were closer than they should have been, like Auburn and Florida and such. You still won the SEC. You still won a playoff game, and you came close. You lose in the national championship game to one of the best defenses of all time. I mean, the the dynasty did not end by any stretch of the imagination for Alabama on Monday night. Far from it. Alabama's going to be back. They'll be the favorites next year. And Georgia has woken up now. They're going to be good. That program's only going to get better from here on out. You know, when I look at the future of college football, I wonder if Clemson has taken a step back after, you know, the three games they lost this year. They haven't had a Trevor Lawrence or Deshaun Watson or Taj Boyd walk through those doors lately. Uh, DJ wasn't that guy this year we might see a point of transition. It was Alabama and Clemson on the top of the mountain. Now things might be shifting over. This might be Alabama and Georgia's college football and everyone else competing for, 
for uh, the leftovers at this point. Georgia, I think, took that next step with that win they had on Monday night, Tom. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, moving forward for them, like I said, sky's the limit. They have the confidence now. Uh, you know, I think just as a program, just in general, I think once you slay that demon like they did, uh, I, I think it changes some things. I think, it you know, you get over that hump and then, you know, you don't go backwards really. Or take if you do go backwards, it takes a lot longer than it does to actually, you know, once you won one. So, uh, you know, Georgia could be one of the new names that it's almost, you know, we, we talk about each season we go on and who's your playoff for? You know, the playoff will expand and it'll be a playoff however many. But, I, you know, at the beginning of the year, we're going to be a who's your playoff forward. We're going to probably say, okay, one of Alabama, Georgia, or both. Um, I mean, you maybe we'll see what happens with uh, LSU, but, you know, for now their window is closed and we'll see what Brian Kelly can do there. But, uh, you know, at, at the beginning it was, you know, Alabama or Florida or, you know, there's some years we threw Georgia in there. Now let's see how they can, you know, expound upon this championship win and, and bring that success into next season. Yeah. Yeah. And going forward, you know, the college football playoff expansion did not get passed before the championship game like they were hoping to. They'll continue these discussions and try to get a deal done in the future, whether to go to eight or 12 teams or even stay at four, whatever it may be. And I'm all for expansion, Tom. I'd love to see eight or 12, either one. I'd probably prefer 12. But when you look at things going forward, as far as that expansion goes, if you had a 12-team playoff this year, for example, I don't think it changes the outcome of what the championship game is. I think you still get Alabama and Georgia in the championship with Georgia winning it all. But it would have been more exciting because of the early round games and some of the competitive matchups and probably an upset or two here or there. But at the end of the day, we still got the two best teams. And I know that this college football playoff has not been what it was built up to be, that we've seen some really piss poor semifinals for, mo- for almost the entirety of the era that is the college football playoff. But what I would say to that, folks, is that a lot of it has to do with the dominance that is Nick Saban. Whenever the day comes that Nick Saban retires, a lot of these issues, these competitive issues we're talking about are going to solve themselves. Now, who knows? Maybe Kirby Smart and Georgia step up and they become the new Alabama at some point. Now that's still a long ways out. That's, you know, that, that almost fa- sounds blasphemous to even say, even with winning the national title to put them in the same breath as Alabama in the future. But I mean, they're going to have a seat for a while. And you look at where this thing is going. I think that's what we look at with expansion is that it's not about that the system isn't working of getting the right teams there. It's about making the field more available for all those involved. This is not a true playoff. This is an invitational that we're seeing right now. And you just want to see an opportunity for these other teams. Not necessarily saying the outcome is going to be any different, but you at least want the door to be open for that possibility to be there. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it does. I mean, we're, what, six years away from saving calling it quits, maybe five. Um, I mean, who knows if he wins another one, he might walk away. I mean, he's getting older. Well, how old is he, like 72? Yeah, around uh, that range, yeah. He's going to coach till he's 78? I mean, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, it's it's main coaches. Obviously, he's coaches as long as he wants to. Uh, I mean, but you know, at one point, he's obviously got nothing left to prove. Um, I mean, he was that after game with him and Kirby Smart was very, uh, um, you know, grasshopper beating, beating the the teacher type situation. Um, and, and he took it. Seemed like he took it with somewhat grace. Other than maybe the SEC championship comment, but uh, you know he's got nothing left to prove. And and once he's out the door, maybe Alabama gets somebody, or maybe they've built up that reputation strong enough that whoever they get, they still will be getting top tier talent like they have been, um, and and remain the you know the the college football giant that is to be slayed every season. I mean. Maybe they retain that, but, you know, I, you're right about the college football playoff and Nick Saban in, in terms of the semifinal games being just absolute shit. Um, I mean, once maybe once Saban's gone, maybe that'll that'll change some things, you know, and it's not like Alabama's made, made every playoff. I mean, well, I mean, maybe they've only missed one, but, uh, I mean, it's still uh, – it's like an arms race. And with the, with the portal the way it is, um, maybe that changes some things in terms of, of, of what teams get in or what teams we see or what teams we predict at the beginning of the season will be the final four. I mean, I, I still think the NIL can change the landscape maybe just as much as Saban leaving Alabama for retirement. Yeah. I mean, you look at the transfer portal and the way that it's blown up the way that it has, and some people are, are calling for – it to be, you know, pulled back in, reeled in a little bit of some sorts, along with NIL, that there's just no regulations on that front. But, you know, the pendulum always swings back the other direction, right? And the pendulum for so long was anti-athlete, was what the NCAA wanted. And now the pendulum has swung back the other direction, and maybe at some point, you know, we'll get back to an even ground of some sorts, you know, find a, a system that works for everybody. But in the meantime, the players have earned this, uh, this opportunity, this moment, with what they have suffered, with what they have went through. I have no problem with the way NIL and with the portal is set up at this point in time. Will it need to be adapted and adjusted later down the road? Potentially. But for the time being, let's let the process play itself out and see how it's going. Uh, let this thing unfold for a while before we make any changes of some sorts. I mean, like take Caleb Williams, for example. Okay. Um, Caleb Williams enters the transfer portal. And I know that, you know, a lot of Oklahoma fans were, you know, throwing a hissy fit, you know, between losing Lincoln Riley and then losing Caleb Williams and several guys to the portal, you know, Stogner and Spencer Rattler and Mario Williams and Hazelwood and such. And I get that, you know, you, those guys meant a lot to that Oklahoma program. You become attached and such totally understand, but you know, Caleb Williams should have just as much right to leave 
as Lincoln Riley does. I mean, he's not getting paid by the universities, given a scholarship, and Lincoln Riley gets millions of dollars and gets to walk out and leave for another job. And he came there to play for Lincoln Riley. And, you know, whether he goes to USC and follows Lincoln Riley or he goes to another program or, heck, even if he ends up staying in Oklahoma, just the fact that he has that option to do so is a good thing. Is Oklahoma going to take a step back, having a guy like Dylan Gabriel in from UCF, who's not a bad quarterback by any means, but, I mean, he's not Caleb Williams. Um, and some of the talent that they lost, some good four- or five-star players, are they going to take a step back? Of course they are. But they can always go back into the portal themselves and go get some guys and balance it out of some sorts. I mean, nature will find a way to work itself out. The cream will still rise to the top of some sorts. At the end of the day, Oklahoma's going to be fine. Caleb Williams is going to be fine. Might take some time, but... If Brent Venables knows what he's doing, then Oklahoma is going to be okay. So the, the, the transfer portal and all this, um, let's, let's just let the process play itself out. I, I'm, I'm fine with things are at in that regard right now, Tom. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, they, people are saying reel back in a little bit and I get where, you know, I get where that come from, you know, where that comes from, but, uh, you know, for right now, I think you let it play out and and kind of feel it out and, and see. You know, you don't. I don't think immediate changes need to take place. I, th- I think for immediate changes to take place, kind of hinders the I don't know the chaotic good of of nil and, and have a big enough sample size this this just started both these things right. I mean, if I mean, bleep me here, but if your team's getting fucked then you're going to be like real in NIL. If your team's benefiting from it, you're going to be like, hell no. So let it go for a free for all. We love it. You know? And so, you know, there's two different sides to it. And and some people will get the ass end of it. And some people will get the good side of it. And I, I think for right now, you have to let it play out and, and, you know, give it two years and see, and then reassess and then go from there. You, you can't just change something immediately uh, especially when this was a lot, NIL was such a long process in the making. I think you have to let it play out. Yeah. And we'll see what happens. And at the end of the day, the top teams are still going to be the top teams. What we were seeing, and I know that nobody actually wants to say this out loud, but that's what Thomas and I are here for. The Programs that were at the top were already getting money to these guys one way or or another. What we've done is we've just pulled the curtain back is all we've done with NIL. That's the only difference now. Now, you might see, you know, a whole lot more movement when it comes to the portal and such. But as far as guys getting money and getting paid and such, that that doesn't really change the the top programs when it comes to who's paying the most and who can get guys you know the, the most money they can earn it's no different than what it was before nil it's just now more obvious that's the only difference now yeah exactly i mean it's you you hit it on the head i mean it's 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 you know the money thing is is huge um in, in a way that 
you know, what's the most attractive locations, but I mean, it's, it's happening. It doesn't have to be that. I mean, just the amount of money they can make now is, is, you know, is, is kind of changing the landscape in a way. And, and then you, you see places like, um, Oh, forgive me. Freaking, um, Jackson, Jackson state. Yeah, I mean, along those same lines, here's here's a very good example for you. Okay, Puka Williams, one of the best Louisiana high school players ever from that state. He ends up at Kansas as a, what, you know, four, five-star recruits, and everybody's like, what the hell is Puka Williams doing at Kansas? Do you really think Puka Williams showed up at Kansas and got nothing? no. No, no, no. There, there was, I've talked to some high level folks some people that know things and there was at least six figures that Puka Williams was getting to come to Kansas. Now in today's day and age, you don't have to hide where that money's coming from. That's the only difference now. So that's just what we're going to see is, you know, things are uh, more obvious. That's the only difference when it comes to the NIL. Transfer portal, different story. That is a big change, but it's more power to the players. It's a good thing. Let's let the process play itself out and kind of go from there. Moving on. Let's go around the uh, NFL now, and we'll talk about the firings that have occurred when Bo joins us uh, coming up in the uh, football fix later on. But I want to look at these playoff games, and first off, you look at how this all ultimately ended up playing out. The Titans get the one seed in the AFC as they have the tiebreaker from beating the Chiefs back in October. So the Chiefs get the two seed. Buffalo's the three. Cincinnati's the four. Vegas sneaks in at the 11th hour with the decision to go ahead and kick the field goal and not settle for the kneel down in the tie. The Patriots get the sixth seed, and then the Steelers find a way to get in in the last playoff spot in the AFC after the debacle of the Colts losing to the Jags and the Vegas Chargers game not ending in a tie. First off, uh, the Raiders. No one saw this coming. We wrote this team off a long time ago when they were going through their stuff with John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, and all that. Um, but they still found a way to weather the storm. They ended up winning, what was it, three of their last four games or four in a row, whatever it was, to end the year. And I love the way things played out. Some folks were saying, you know, oh, play for the tie and all this. I mean, that's, you know, that that's some snowflake stuff right there, trying to tell. It, tell it's play. a division opponent, too. You know what, if the I Rams mean, were playing – the 49ers, which they did, and they could have knocked them out, or the Seahawks or the Cardinals, and you can knock them out. If I'm a fan, I'm saying, F*** them. Knock them out. Well, then, not to mention, in the Raiders' case, too, you were talking about, okay, if they settle for the tie, they were going to have to go to Arrowhead and play the Steelers, or play the uh, Chiefs. That win, if they go for the win, <laughs> they get Cincinnati. I mean, you'd have to be a dumbass to do that, to intentionally go for the tie to take on the Chiefs rather than play Cincinnati. I mean, come on, you know? I mean, I loved what the Raiders did. Now, on the flip side, too, let me add, Brandon Staley, was his timeout stupid? Yes. But we can't say 
for certain that it was the difference in that ball game. I mean, the Raiders on that third down, they ran the ball and set themselves up for a field goal there. I think more than likely, even if they don't call the timeout, they probably still run the ball, probably the same play, and set themselves up for the field goal potentially. So I don't know if that timeout made a difference or not, but what I will say, Tom, is that timeout certainly didn't help. We know that much. I don't know if it was the difference, but it didn't help. Staley is a hell of a coach. He's had a really good first year, but he has gotten in his his own team's way. He cost his team that Chiefs game, and then this game here, I don't know if he necessarily cost them, but he didn't help them in that situation. Yeah, definitely not. And, you know, he did so well with the Rams, and and I was sad to see him go, obviously, from that situation. But, um, you know, he, he's still a good coach. And, you know, I think that – I mean, the Chargers have the pieces. Um, you know, the defense was uh, very inconsistent, I thought. I think they are more talented than every one of the wild card teams that made it ahead of them. In the AFC? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, I mean, yeah, you get some bad breaks and, and you, you know, it's all learning experience. It's not like the Chargers are going to win the Super Bowl anyway this year. Uh, I mean, most likely they go, if they go to Cincinnati, I think Cincinnati beats the Chargers. Um, um, so, you know what it's worth. I mean, the Raiders, like you mentioned, I, you know, you gave yourself the best chance to win. Would you rather play the Cincinnati Bengals in Ohio, or would you rather go to Kansas City? Uh, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Uh, I, I think anybody would be a fool to say, no, they should have had the, the, the tie-in. No. I mean, yeah, who do I want to play first? A, a, a divisional opponent that absolutely down my throat last time? Or maybe someone that, you know, Cincinnati is on, you know, while they have the pieces, Cincinnati, I feel like, is still very inexperienced. Um, and it has a be- terrible the- offensive line. You're just going to make a point to right. go attack Joe Burrow all day. I mean, the Raiders now went from – Joe Burrow, if they were shook going up to play the Chiefs, um, you would say that they had no chance. None whatsoever. They are not going into Arrowhead on a Sunday night and beating the Chiefs. Not happening. Now you play Cincinnati. We'll talk about it more in just a second. They could win that game. They very well could. That's not out of the equation whatsoever. They have a realistic shot. They would have no chance against Kansas City. So I don't fault the Raiders at all for going for the win. They did the right thing. It was a smart call. And, I mean, it made for a hell of a game. That game on Sunday night was as good as any game we've seen all year. uh, Right down to the very end. To think that the season, the playoff spots literally came down to the closing seconds of the season, decided the fate of three teams in that last kick was something else. Um, just wild stuff on uh, that front there. Let's start with the AFC, looking at the AFC playoff picture. Um, I know that the Titans are the one seed. But I still like Kansas City more. I like Kansas City to come out of the AFC. But with all that being said, Tom, this is a different situation in the American Football Conference than what we've seen the last couple of years. If you went back to last year or the year before that, the Kansas City Chiefs walked into the playoffs and people feared the Chiefs. 
it was, you know, it, it felt like it was going to be monumental if you were going to get by the Kansas City Chiefs, that it was going to be a struggle. They were so much better than you. I don't feel that's the case at all in this postseason. That the Chiefs are that much better than everybody else. I mean, Tennessee beat them. Now, granted, Chiefs are a much different team than what they were then, but they're about to get King Henry back. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to be at full strength or whatnot, but the fact that he's there, Tennessee's good. Buffalo beat the crap out of them back in October. Um, you know, New England, although that they're on the downward spiral the last couple of weeks, it, it wasn't too long ago. They were the best team in the AFC here. Um, Cincinnati beat the Chiefs just a couple of weeks ago. Um, the Chiefs, on paper, the most talented team, but I don't know what Chiefs team is going to show up. The fact that you are forcing the Chiefs to play another game because they didn't get home field in the number one seed for the first time in, what, two, three years. I don't know if I can trust this team to win three straight games to get to the Super Bowl when they have not shown consistency all season long. Just when it looked like that they had turned a corner in the second half of this year, they blow that lead on the road against Cincinnati, and now there's questions about, about this team. So, yes, Kansas City, I think, should be the favorites, Tom, but it's not unequivocal by any stretch. No, I mean, I think they could still do it. I mean, you look at the, the Steelers team that snuck in. I mean, Big Ben, whatever, gets in the playoffs, and he's going to go to Kansas City. And I don't know, what's the spread on that game? Is it Kansas City 12 and a half? Yeah, 12 and a half, Kansas City. 12 and a half. You know, I I like what you said about what Kansas City team is going to show up. Is it going to be early season Kansas City, or is it going to be three the three three total games before the Cincinnati game, Kansas City? Uh, you know, even the Kansas City, you know, game against Cincinnati, if it's not for Jamar Chase, Kansas City wins that game. And Jamar Chase single-handedly won that game. Uh, questionable penalty. I, um, you know, don't call me a Kansas City fan because I'm not. Uh, questionable penalty to not give the ball back to the Chiefs at the end of that game. A little bit questionable, but, you know, you could say it should come down to that. Cincinnati's no BS. Cincinnati, I think, could beat anybody um, on any given day. I mean, anybody can, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, you know, it's going to be – it's going to determine what Chiefs team shows up. They have to be consistent. The, I don't think they're as good as they once were when they could come back from 24 points down type situation. I don't think if that happens, uh, you know, against any number of one of these teams, whether that be Cincinnati or the, or Tennessee or, you know, even a Bill Belichick-led Patriots team, um, you know, I don't know if they have the – I don't want to call it grit. Maybe that'll piss some people off. But it doesn't seem like they have the the Kansas City Chief magic that they did that what you know for a few seasons. Um, they might though. Um, and and I, if I had to pick any team to not play in the AFC play AFC rounds or playoffs or wild card divisional championship, it's going to be Kansas City. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Uh, so you know, people will talk about well. They're not the same team. They don't fear. And, and I agree with you. They're not as feared 
like they once were. I mean, for two seasons, it's like, oh, holy shit, we got to go to Arrowhead. It's like, well, we're screwed. Now, maybe not. But if I had to pick any team in the AFC that I don't want to play, I, I don't want to play Kansas City. Are you kidding me? Are you I'll, still- I'll rather play the Titans for sure. So you're picking Kansas City as well to come out of the AFC? I mean, I, I, I think I have to. Um, I'm very interested, very interested. Um, you know, if, if Buffalo can can do, I think, can do some things. And I'm not, I'm not going to rule out um, Bill Belichick either. I, I think, I think that's, I don't know. I have to look at the matchups, but I, I think the Patriots could be there. I, I, I really do think, but I, I, th- I think it's probably Kansas City and Titans. If I had to just bet money. It's it's lame. I hate picking one and two. Um, Tennessee strong, yes, but you know they do have home field and be very interested. Divisional round, you know, you give Derrick Henry another week to get better uh, and to and to get conditioned. Who you know, hard hard to say that they won't be there at the end. And along those same lines too, we're talking about in this postseason of not only the Titans and the Packers having home field advantage and having a week off throughout the playoffs, but in these circumstances, fans are back in the stadium again, full capacity crowds. And you'd be remiss if you didn't think that was going to play an advantage. That, you know, last year when the Bucks won the Super Bowl, you know, yeah, they had to play an extra game, but they were playing in front of maybe, what, 20,000 at Lambeau? I mean, that's not the same as playing in front of 70,000. Um, you know, it was – if there was a year to go through as a wild card team to reach the Super Bowl, last year was the year to do it. It made sense. This year, this is a whole different game. With the one seeds for the first time ever, Tom – having home field advantage throughout the playoffs of just the one seeds, not the two seeds anymore, having this whole new super wild card weekend. This feels like the first time that we really get to see it because now we're talking about full capacity and, and true home field advantage and such. This is going to play a huge benefit to Tennessee and Green Bay, more so by a mile than it did last year, I felt. Yeah, and definitely for Green Bay, I don't feel like, you know, you never heard or maybe call me a, a hater for this. I don't care. But, you know, no one thinks, who we got to go to Nashville. You know, oh, no, shit. No, they get excited to go to Nashville. Right. Right, exactly. It's not like – there's no hate on Titans fans. Variable's done a very good job, and they're, you know, they're – They've done very well with what they have, and and there's not a whole lot of other coaches I don't feel like that could do what Mike Rabel's done with the talent that he has. There's a there's far better teams that have done less with what they have than Mike Rabel's done with the Titans. Uh, he's been one of the best coaches on the uh, new on the scene, so to speak, for in, that I've seen in a while. Uh, but it's a lot more scary to say, "Oh, we got to go to Lambeau in January." against Aaron Rodgers with fans like it's it's uh when I think about it especially from a Rams point of view and and if the Rams beat the Cardinals we'll talk about that in a bit the Rams 
will eventually, I, I do believe, have to make a trip to Lambeau if they make it that far. And and it just seems uh, unsurmountable. Uh, it, it just there's there's you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a, a tougher environment to play in than an Aaron Rodgers led Green Bay Packer team with a full stadium at Lambeau in January. And and with the way that Green Bay's playing, well, that gets us a good transition to the NFC side of things. You know, I think Green Bay, Tampa, Dallas, Los Angeles, um, those four teams are all threats to win the Super Bowl. All four of them could win it. I would not be surprised. Um, Arizona, I think, is a little more of a reach based on the way that they've played the last few weeks, how they struggled down the stretch. That would surprise me if Arizona did win it all. Um, but, you know, those four teams, I don't think there's a whole lot of separation when you talk about Green Bay, Tampa, Dallas, and Los Angeles. I mean, we've seen it throughout the year. You know, Green Bay has, you know, even though they've played a lot better as of late with the way that they finished throughout the year, there have been times where they've shown their vulnerabilities that they could lose to those four teams. Um, Tampa Bay, the reigning Super Bowl champions, has played much better now than they did at this point last year when they won the Super Bowl. So that's something to keep in mind there. The Rams, they went through a lull for a while, but now they've figured things out with OBJ. I don't read too much into the loss that they suffered against San Francisco because San Francisco is a much better team. Of those division champions, I do think Dallas is the most vulnerable, though. And I know that we make the jokes all the time about Dallas and the playoffs and such, and, and you know, it's, it's easy to talk about. You know, the, the history tells itself. But forgetting even the history for a moment, just look at the matchup. Dallas... I think has the toughest matchup of anybody of those division winners this weekend, having to go up against San Francisco. San Francisco is red hot right now. They run the ball well. They play good defense. Jimmy G's playing good. I don't like this matchup for the Cowboys. I respect, and and I know this is hard for me to say as somebody that's been very anti-Dallas Cowboys, but I respect the hell out of what they have done this year. Kellen Moore, and Dan Quinn have been two of the best coordinators in football. And Dax had a very good year. All those things being said. But I do not feel good at all about their matchup with San Francisco here because of the way San Francisco has been playing. I think Green Bay is the best team in the NFC. I like them to come out. But of those four, I think Dallas is the most vulnerable, Tom. Oh, 100% they are. And I'll come out and tell you right now that I think 49ers are going to go into Dallas and win. Um, they're too gritty. It's um, 49ers just – they don't die. They just don't die. And so I, I think unless Dallas just comes out and drops an ass whoop like they did on the Washington football team, I, I 49ers I think can hang with anybody, to be honest. Uh, they're the team that scares me the most, and they're the most likely to be a Cinderella. I think if it comes down to it – and they beat Dallas and go into green. They would end up going to green Bay. Um, you know, and by God, unless the Eagles pulled off a miracle, um, you know, I, 
maybe they get stopped in Green Bay, sure, but God, if they didn't, uh, you know, the 49ers just are, like you said, red hot for one. They just got their confidence boosted through the roof and a comeback win over the Rams. For whatever reason, the Rams kryptonite is Shanahan and Debo Samuel. God. But they, I think they win. I, I really do. 49ers are hot at the right time. If I'm picking any upset this weekend, is 49ers over Dallas. Yeah, I think that's a very good pick. And uh, we're going to pick that game coming up later. Uh, Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, home field advantage. Uh, you know, Rodgers, an MVP season. He's playing so well. I mean, they will be the team to beat. Of that group beyond them, who has the best shot to challenge Green Bay? If somebody is not going to win, if if somebody not named Green Bay is going to win the NFC, who's it ultimately going to be, Tom? I mean, I, I would imagine it would be in the NFC Championship. It would be the best shot. Maybe it's Tampa Bay. I'm, I'm trying to think how the seeding works. If the Rams beat the Cardinals and Tampa beats the Eagles and Dallas beats – 49ers the Rams will play in Green Bay in the divisional round if the 49ers take care of business in Dallas it'll be you know Rams versus Bucks and it'll be 49ers versus Green Bay and then you know from there the Rams I don't know could do it what Stafford do we get what Sean McVay do we get what what version of this defense for the Rams do we get do we get the Ben, don't break, or do we get the, you know, look at the first game between the Packers and the Rams. I I don't know that the Rams can win in Green Bay. Uh, I'm never going to bet against Tom Brady. So if the Bucs do beat the Rams, um, you know, it's the 49ers are not going to win in Green Bay. No. I think challenge them, but it's going to be Green Bay in the NFC Championship, and it's either going to be Dallas uh, Tampa Bay or Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. I think Tom, when it's all said and done, I think the chiefs find a way out of the AFC. It might not be pretty, but they'll win the AFC. I don't say that with a whole lot of confidence, but I do think that they get it done. And I think green Bay wins the NFC. Uh, I know that they've been to what is it now? Two, three straight NFC championship games that they've lost, but this year feels different. This feels like the last dance of sorts, you know, for Aaron Rodgers, you know, and and by all means, you know, he's talked about retirement and such. It could just be that Aaron Rodgers goes out, wins the Super Bowl and retires. He could just be done like that, might not even play for someone else next year, potentially, Um, you know, or, or maybe he does end up settling things with Green Bay, whatever it may be. I think that Green Bay comes out of the NFC. Uh, it's going to be close. I think Tampa Bay. um, they have some issues to work through since this Antonio Brown stuff. And, you know, they are a veteran organization. They can figure it out, um, but they have to work through those things. And they got to get figure that out pretty fast. The Rams, I, I can't trust them. I thought they were the most talented team in the NFC entering this year, but they've dealt with a lot of injuries and some inconsistency. Uh, can't trust them. Same with Dallas. I like what they've done. They've certainly overachieved, but I can't trust them, even though they can win on any given day. I think of those four teams. I'll go with Green Bay, and you know what? I'll even take a step further. 
I like Green Bay to win it all. I think Green Bay beats Kansas City and Aaron Rodgers gets the second Super Bowl title. That's how I see how ultimately this plays out. How do you see this playing out, Tom? You know, I agree with you. I, I, I think it's Green Bay no matter what. I'd put $100 right now Green Bay wins the NFC. Uh, that's just how I feel. Unless something goes down or, by God, the 49ers find a way or Dallas finds a way. or the I, I don't see them finding a way. Just what you mentioned. Don't trust Dallas. I don't trust Dallas against the 49ers. Not so much that Dallas hasn't had one of the best seasons. That has been the hardest. This has been the hardest year to be anti-Dallas because of how well they played. Um, other than that, though, the 49ers are no joke. You go in and you take a womp by 49ers, even if you pull that out. You, you know, I, I just don't trust any of the teams that would play Green Bay. And, and it would be a lot different. I would trust the Rams against Green Bay in Los Angeles. I really do think, and you can call me a dumbass, anybody listening, the home field advantage at Green Bay is like none other. It's Aiken, exactly Aiken to Tom Brady in Foxborough. It's the same thing. Right, it's, and, it's, and that's where Tampa Bay, don't be fooled by the name Tampa Bay. Tom Brady knows cold weather games. I think they're the, the best threat. If anyone's going to win in Green Bay, we saw them do it last year. Granted, it was front of 20,000, not 70. But I would give them the best chance to go into Green Bay and get it done still as that Tampa Bay team. Yeah, and, you know, I, I would feel better. You know, I, well, we've already seen Rams Green Bay this year in Lambeau. Didn't work out so hot for the Rams. I trust Matt Stafford a lot more in Green Bay than I did Jared Goff last year in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I'll take that because now, you know, Stafford knows that, but Aaron Rodgers and the Packers know Matt Stafford pretty well. So it just comes down to, I, you know, I think home field for the Packers ends up being the, the deal breaker here. Packers had to go to Tampa Bay. If they had to go to LA, I think it changes the whole landscape of things. Yeah. So you're going with the Packers. Uh, do you have them winning the Super Bowl? You picked the Chiefs in the AFC, right? Uh, you know, I've, I haven't decided. I'll, I'll be interested to see. I, I think in the end, I think it'll be Chiefs-Titans. Um, and it, it really is going to depend on if I want to see Derrick Henry before I would say it out, outright. For the sake of it, let's say he's not 100%. I'll take the Chiefs-Packers, and I got the Packers winning. I think. I don't care who you take out of the AFC. I think Packers are one in it all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So we're on the Packers bandwagon. We're both uh, believing in Aaron Rodgers and company to get it done in what has been a wild season, to say the least there. Plenty of more football discussion coming up as we're going to be joined by Seth Kaiser, the athletic, coming up in just a few moments from right now. Coach Bo will join us for the football fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group later on. Still more to get to. On the other side of the show as well, as we'll talk some Big 12 basketball, which we haven't done a whole lot of. This will be the first time we've really gone in depth as conference plays underway. We'll get to our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that and more as we continue. Stay with us here in the Jones. <laughs> Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from The Athletic, he is Chiefs film analyst Seth Kaiser, who joins us right now. Seth, appreciate the time, man. Tell us uh, what's going on with you. I imagine you're pretty excited for uh, this playoff run beginning on Sunday, man. I am. It's uh, it, well, it's nice to talk to you again. It feels like it's been a minute. Um, 
it's uh, life is good. I'm, I'm excited for the playoffs to get started. I'm actually going to be in town for the game. And so that's always fun. Haven't been to a playoff game since uh, um, the Chiefs last played the Steelers in the playoffs. The the all field goals game. Oh, yes. Um, the the Eric Fisher wasn't holding game. The yeah, there's all sorts of, um, you know, there's all sorts of memories from there. But I haven't been to a playoff game since then just for a variety of reasons. So I'm excited to get back in the atmosphere. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Certainly. I'm looking forward to being there as well, Seth. And uh, we want to take some time to uh, preview this game, obviously. Uh, what stands out to you about this matchup, uh, first off, between the Chiefs and the Steelers uh, when, when, when it comes to uh, this game here? Sure. I think the, the first thing that stands out, if you're going to look at it in terms of, you know, how the two teams go up against each other because styles make fights. I, I think one of the biggest problems that the Steelers have, and that's what everyone's going to be talking about, you know, why the Steelers are doomed and all that. And that's why, you know, Big Ben said some of the things that he said. Um, but there, there are some legitimate problems with the way the Steelers are built playing the Chiefs. Um, one of them being they don't have a deep passing game. Now they've got a couple of receivers that they could, but Ben Roethlisberger just can't really push the ball effectively down the field with any sort of consistency anymore. His arm shot and everyone knows it. And so the one area where the chiefs have at least the last few weeks struggled to an extent, you know, losing some one-on-one matchups down the field, getting taken advantage of because their aggressive nature on defense. That's not something that the Steelers are really built to take advantage of. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, you know, the Steelers are based around their pass rush and around TJ Watt doing miraculous things. They don't cover really well on the back end. Um, and the Chiefs offensive line has played really, really well this year. They, they, are, they are built to take on teams, by and large, that, that are heavily dependent on their pass rush. And they haven't been perfect at times, but I mean, as the season's gone along, Orlando Brown's played better and better. Um, and I personally think he played fairly well to start the year too. I, I think it was largely a myth that he was struggling. So really the problem for the Steelers is the stuff that they do well doesn't necessarily correspond with areas that the Chiefs struggle. And then it becomes a battle of strengths. And I think the Chiefs are just built to win that. These two teams met just a few weeks ago and the Chiefs dominated yes, pretty much. Uh, you know, they handled the, uh, the Steelers pretty well. Uh, when you look at that, uh, that it wasn't that long ago that these two teams met and such, how similar do you think these matchups are from what we just saw, basically? Well, and that's, you know, that's where the styles make fights things does come into play in that you, you kind of know how they've matched up once this year. Every game can go differently. You know, the ball bounces a different way. Luck plays such a large role, things that, that they can't necessarily control. But Man, that's a tough sample to, to walk away from. It's just one game. And so I, I think for the Chiefs dominating them once, to expect them to dominate it again is probably not really a great way to approach because otherwise, you know, are, are the Chiefs terrified to play the Titans or the Bills? And I would say probably not terrified because it, it is just one game. But I think that game and the way that the Chiefs approached it, in that I didn't really see them unravel any new concepts on offense, stuff that we haven't seen before this entire year or even last year. And doing that, they just rolled right over the Steelers. That's a bad sign when stuff like that happens. And so I don't think the Steelers are really going to be able to, at least in terms of the Chiefs offense, look at that tape and really say for sure that's what they're getting, the second matchup, because the Chiefs were able to just run them over doing what they do. So I think it revealed some of the matchup problems that they have. Maybe the Steelers have come up with an answer for it. 
Um, maybe they look at what's happened in the game since then and have said, you know what, we're just going to, you know, we're going to throw a bunch of go routes and, and hope that someone can pull a Jamar chase. It seems like an unlikely way to come up with a win for them considering how they're built, but it's, it, it, it's not this positive. They certainly can come up with answers for how they struggled, but it's a bad sign anytime you get dominated like that from start to finish. Cause it wasn't really a fluky domination, right? It wasn't based on, you know, two or three turnovers or a couple of bad bounces or just a couple of big plays. It really was start to finish. Just, it wasn't even close. Right. And since then the Steelers had a decent finish to the year, but mm -hmm. each of those games, they look so sloppy in the process, you know, <laughs> and those sluggish wins of some sorts, if this game is going to be close at all, I feel like that we're going to have to see some of those mistakes made and it's going to have to be an ugly football game for this to even be competitive. I think. I think that's probably accurate in terms of the Steelers being able to keep it close and definitely to be able to win. They need the chiefs to make some mistakes. Um, fortunately for the Steelers, the chiefs have been willing to oblige teams this year in making mistakes. And they've largely, I'm actually writing about this right now, that one of the reasons that the chiefs won't make a deep playoff run, because I'm writing, you know, will they or won't they, you know, why they will, why they won't all that stuff. Um, playoff content. And uh, yes, the, one of the reasons they won't is because all year they've shot themselves in the foot on offense. It has been, it, which is funny to say because they ended up third in offensive efficiency, according to football outsiders, which I, I think has the best metric in terms of consistent offensive output, which is the fourth year in a row they've been third or higher, which is just incredible consistency over that time. It's really hard to do. But despite that, in individual games, you've seen those mistakes kind of pile up. An easy example, and I don't just mean turnovers. An easy example is like the uh, the Packers game and the Cowboys game. Now, the Cowboys have a really good defense, although they were missing a couple guys. And the Packers have a good defense, too, although they were missing a couple guys. But in both of those games, some key drops, a few key missed blocks, some ill-timed penalties. They came at really inopportune times and kind of killed some drives. And so the Chiefs have shown that they're willing to shoot themselves in the foot, even taking out turnovers which that would be another way for the Steelers to keep it competitive and even win the game would be if the Chiefs turnover luck reverts back to what we saw at the beginning of the year. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. Seth Kaiser, the Athletic, joining us here on the Jones Report this week. And going into the playoffs, the, the two things that I keep hearing about this Chiefs team is, you know, from whoever you talk to, that no one fears this Chiefs team and the idea that, um, you know, this team is not as good as the previous Chiefs teams of the last couple of years going into the playoffs. What do you think about those two ideas, those things that are being put out there about this uh, Chiefs team heading into the postseason? It feels to me like the Chiefs are a third and 27 all out blitz away from people not saying that. Um <laughs> You know what I mean? It's just kind of one of those things where, you know, the, the Bengals game, hey, they lost good on the Bengals. Great win for them. Um, the Chiefs had a lot of chances to win that game. And it's kind of interesting to me that the Chiefs have become so good that losing one game out of 10 or 11 or how many in a, you know, in a row it was there, losing one game on a last second in a last second manner like that to a, to a playoff team on the road. And then, yeah. And then, and then having kind of a sloppy win in week 18 against a divisional opponent 
it goes from, you know, a couple of weeks ago, oh, the Chiefs are the hottest team in the league and everything. And that's all it really takes is just two weeks for people to say, oh, yeah, I don't know. And I suppose you could say a close win over a Chargers team that was supposed to make the playoffs but missed it. Um, it was kind of funny if you listen to the way people talked about the Chargers the last two weeks as opposed to the way they talked about the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. You would swear that the Chargers were the, the in contention for the number one seed and the Chiefs were the one fighting for a wild card spot. But that's just the way these narratives go. I think it gets boring to talk about the same team over and over again. And now I kind of understand why uh, New England Patriots fans became so unbearable for a long time there, because it really does become about how can they lose, right? Because it's boring to talk about the same things over and over. I would also just point out that in addition to kind of narratives just having to exist because we everyone needs something to talk about every day. But there's also the fact that you know, in 2019, people were talking about how the Chiefs weren't beating teams by enough, how they weren't looking that dominant. Um, then last year, the Chiefs were looking pretty dominant heading into the playoffs. And both years, they made it to the Super Bowl. And so I, I'm just not sure whether or not there's a lot of value in this idea of, of pre-postseason momentum or anything like that. In terms of whether or not they're as good a team as they have been in years past, I think they are as good. Whether or not they're better feels like it depends on a week-to-week basis. Had you asked me three or four weeks ago, I said, I think they're better because the defense was playing at a higher level than it has at any other point. And then you see some cracks in the foundation there against Burrow and, and Chase, who is just a monster. So I, I, I wouldn't say that it's definitively worse, though. And I think part of that is just, uh, you know, us, the media hype machine, kind of, we got to talk about something, and it might as well be why they look vulnerable. So let's talk about the offense here. Uh, first off, I got to start with the rookie center, Creed Humphrey. This guy has been so good this year, and I felt like he's worthy of being a part of the rookie of the year conversation. I know that you know Jamar Chase has been great this year, and you, you've had some other guys, but Creed Humphrey, the way that he's dominated up front and made things so easy for Patrick Mahomes um, – what a job he's done commanding that. I mean, we, we don't see rookies play to that level. I mean, he, he looks like he's been in the league 10 years. Absolutely. Um, every, every conversation should start and end with Creed Humphrey. I think uh, <laughs> he he's, he's such a good player. Um, I, I don't do a ton of draft work pre-draft. I'm trying to change that this year. I might do more uh, for, for the sub stack, but I generally don't really look at a lot of players. I'll examine a couple of positions like this year. I looked at a few tackles because everyone thought they'd take tackles. And then of course, you know, they traded for Orlando Brown. And I thought, boy, there's 10 hours of my life. I'm never going to get back, which is one of the reasons I don't do pre-draft stuff because it all turns out to be a chasing of the wind. Um, (laughs) And so the, the, the thing with, with Humphrey is I don't watch college football. So I didn't know much about him at all or anything about him. So they drafted him. Um, and I immediately, you know, went to see what Brandon Thorne thought of him um, because he's the go-to guy for any offensive line analysis. And then I just found some games and started watching him because I didn't want to taint my opinion of him too much. And it was really interesting watching him start to finish in his college career. I think it was pretty predictable that he would be good out of the gate. That was relatively predictable. He was a really, really good, really, really consistent college player. His fundamentals were excellent. And, and his control over the line, all of the things that you need to do to succeed at the pro level were there. I think the only question people had was about his functional strength at the second level. And he's looked stronger at this level than he did in the, in the college game. 
which is weird. I, that's not something you ever see happen. And I'm not sure if, you know, just something clicked or just whatever it is, but he's just been phenomenal. And I think if you were going to make an argument for rookie of the year, I don't think you can at this point because Chase has been so good. And also because wide receiver is a more impactful position than center. And so I get why it'll go to Chase. At least it probably should. If I were going to make an argument for Humphrey, I would say that he, of all the rookies, and there have been some great rookies this year, he's the only one with a legitimate argument that he might actually be the best player in the league at his position. And that should count for something. Now, it shouldn't count for everything because what if that position is, you know, fullback or kicker? I don't know. But it should center is not fullback or kicker. It's a very important spot on the line. And it's one of the reasons the Chiefs offensive line has looked so good is because his level of play has been so high. Um, Trey Smith got a lot of the accolades early because of the way he pancakes guys. Trey Smith's a really, really good player, but it's become apparent over the course of the year, it's game after game after game after game. Creed Humphrey hasn't had a bad game as a pro. And it's just been really, really awesome to see, especially with the Chiefs having kind of struggled with that position since Morse left. Yeah, he's been phenomenal. I really love what I've seen from him. Uh, as far as that goes, what about the run game at this point? That was a lot of the talk early on in the year was how much they were struggling. Obviously, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got hurt at one point. Uh, what, what do you make of where the run game's at right now? Um, you know, they, they seem to be able to get it done regardless of who's in there, which is pretty typical for, for how things work with the run game. The run game is largely dependent on number of defenders in the box and how it's blocked up. Now there's some differences there, you know, different running backs can do different things, but generally speaking, unless you're Jamal Charles, you're not going to move the needle that much. You know, he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, the outlier and everyone else is kind of somewhere in this like middle of the pack zone for the most part. Um, So they've been able to get it done. The thing with the run game is it seemed to have consistently, depended on whether or like how they're doing it, what way they're running the ball, whether or not they're taking advantage of the skill set of their offensive line, meaning, you know, they go straight ahead, they go power, they run, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, some kind of duo or some kind of, you know, um, some kind of power, like a guard tackle counter, something, you know, whatever, right. Something that where they're going between the tackles and they're taking advantage of their lineman's ability to either wall off or generate push as opposed to running something, you know, with, with like an outside zone where they're running, you know, these reach blocks and they're trying to move laterally, you see a big difference in the level of success they have. And I trace that in large part to Orlando Brown and Trey Smith, because those are guys who are really good at some things and not as good at other things. Tooney and Humphrey can do whatever, but what they're really, really good at is running duo where you, you, you're double teaming the nose tackle, whether it's with Humphrey and Tooney, whether it's with Humphrey and Smith, and you're letting the other, the other guard win their one-on-one, and then you're letting the center of the other guard blast to the second level after an initial double team win and take out a linebacker. They are awesome at that. They're, and they, they don't do it that often, and it's driving me crazy. I, I watch games, and it's just they'll, they'll run it a couple times, and they'll get six, seven, eight easy yards. And then they move right on. And it's just, I would love to see them just try it. Just one drive. Just do it until they stop it. And just see what happens. Um, regardless of who's been running the ball, that's been kind of the theme for them. It's been a lot more dependent on the blocking. Um, Edwards Alaire coming back healthy, I think, is great news. I didn't think he'd be back this quickly. Sounds like he's going to be back. Um, but until they get him more involved in the vertical passing game, which at this point, 
we're two years in and I don't know if they will. I'm not sure how much he's going to move the needle over the very competent backups that they have there. Yeah. Speaking of the uh, passing game, uh, let's, let's continue to destroy some of these narratives here. One of the narratives <laughs> I heard uh, throughout the beginning of the season was this whole idea that teams were taking away Tyreek Hill and such. And then at the end of the year, when the numbers come out, Tyreek Hill has more catches than the record that Travis Kelsey set last year. Right. Tell me about this passing game and what makes this this uh, this passing game work. So I, I actually wrote about that this week. Um, you know, people are talking about Tyreek Hill. His his you know yards per catch are way down. His yards per target are way down. So you know there's there's a few segments where people are talking about whether or not he's as explosive as he used to be. It's just the way the people the teams are playing the Chiefs. They they never blitz. I mean they do sometimes and every time. It's at the point now to where while you're watching a game, if you see the other team blitz, you're like, yes, they, they, they did it. They did the stupid thing. And it usually ends up really well for the Chiefs. Um, they're, they're not blitzing and they're playing really conservative shells. Now, everyone made a big deal about cover two earlier in the year. I don't think it was it was just cover two. I think you you had quarters, you, you, you had various forms of cover three. It wasn't just that. It was these really conservative shells, though, where the point was you had two, three, four guys playing a deep shell, trying to take away that over-the-top stuff. And what Tyreek Hill has done is he's become a really, really effective possession receiver. He's adapted to what the offense needs. And just if you look at that, he's tied for third in the league in first downs. So it's not just about catches and yards. It's how effective are those catches and yards? Because Catching a pass for eight yards is on third and 15 versus third and five are two very different things. And he's become the guy that can do both. He, 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 can, he can catch on third and 15, he can catch a 20-yard pass. On third and five, he can catch a six-yard pass. And he's become kind of a go-to guy along with Kelsey that, that Mahomes looks for on those third and even short and medium situations, which is a change from last year. And I think it's a testament to the work he's put in to take advantage of his physical gifts. Um, he's long been talked about as, you know, deep threat, explosive and all that. But he's also a very complete, excellent receiver. Had some struggle with drops this year that have been a little frustrating. But that's kind of you take the great. And if there's a little bit of bad that occasionally crops up with it, similar with Kelsey, he'll go through spurts where he struggles with drops. When you've got Hall of Fame level production and talent, you kind of put up with that. Right. Exactly. And this last game against Denver, McCole Hardman has his first career 100-yard receiving game. We've seen where at times throughout the season, it's, you know, McColl's day or Byron Pringle or, yep. uh, you know, Robinson, whoever it may be. Who do you think he needs to be that number three consistent target of some sort? Who do you expect to potentially play well and be the guy the Chiefs need to, to be that third option of sorts in the receiving game? I think if I, it's going to be matchup dependent, in my opinion, which is such a cop out, but none of them, none of the receivers have shown they can do it consistently week in and week out matchup independent. Sometimes it's Hardman. Sometimes it's Pringle. Occasionally it's Robinson. Um, Gordon hasn't developed into what they'd hope. He's not catching contested passes and he's not getting separation on his own. So the hope is that in terms of getting a little bit of that consistently, I'm going with probably Byron Pringle because he's kind of shown that a little more down the stretch, but he's had years to show that he can't consistently create separation against aggressive man coverage. And eventually you have to be able to do that at the pro level to be a consistent threat at the wide receiver spot. Hardman can get separation against man coverage, 
but not consistently because he's so inconsistent with his route running and he's so inconsistent about, you know, adapting his routes to where defenders are. And the chiefs really depend on wide receivers to do that. And, and Kelsey to, to bend their routes around and, and understand where guys are to, you know, make, make site adjustments and, and Hardman, that's just not something he's good at, at least as far as we can tell. Now, to be fair, it's one thing we're going, I think Hardman's still like 23 and it's kind of interesting, the conversation around him as though he's peaked at 23. Um, we'll see where things go with him. So I think it just, it, it's going to depend on matchup and it's going to depend on usage. I think we're going to see Hardman continue to be used the same way and how people view him from game to game is going to be dependent on whether he breaks a big play or not, which that is a huge part of why he's a necessity in their offense because outside of Hill and Kelsey, he is their best big play threat by far because he is one shoestring tackle away from 60 yards constantly because very few players can accelerate like him. So I think in terms of a little more consistency, you might see from Pringle, but in terms of adding some big play elements to the offense, it's gotta be hard. With. As uh, blink 182 once said, no one likes you when you're 23. So <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Most 23 year olds are unbearable. So what are you going to do? But I say that because I'm old. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'm not much older than that at 25, so I, I can't really talk much. <laughs> oh, oh, it's very, very, very different. <laughs> I'd like to think. Let's uh, move on, talk defense. So at the beginning of the year, this team was giving up a lot of points defensively, and then a flip switched where the defense was phenomenal and was not giving up a whole lot of points. What changed for this defense when they went like from night and day, essentially, just like that? You know, they the defense was doing a lot of things poorly early in the year that they've traditionally done well under Spagnolo. Um, two of them being not blowing coverages and tackling well. Those are things that they've generally done well under Spagnolo. And those are, I mean, those sound like really simple things, but they're hard to do at the pro level because offenses are so good. These players are so hard to tackle. Offenses are so well designed. It's really hard to consistently be coverage sound even if you're not coverage exceptional but being sound not giving up the 60 yard touchdowns you know you know limiting big plays to 20 or 30 yards i know that sounds terrible it's like well 20 or 30 yard play is is awful it is but it's not nearly as awful as 60 and a touchdown because it gives you a chance to kind of run it back a little bit and and still get a stop they've done well with those two things under spagnolo every year and it was a huge change from what they'd done previously. And that allowed them to kind of out times at times over overachieve to what people looked at as their talent level early this year, they were blowing coverages. They were getting, making mistakes in coverage that led to easy yards and they were missing tackles that led to extra yards. And when you give up easy yards and extra yards, you are going to be a terrible defense. And that's what they were, especially when you don't have super high level talent all over the field. You can get away with that stuff when you, uh, you know, when you have certain personnel, the chiefs have some high level guys and they've got other guys that are more, you know, average, that sort of thing. So I think that was the problem. And they really tightened down a lot of that. And then Melvin Ingram's arrival gave them a third pass rusher and Frank Clark's resurgent gave them a second pass rusher because really prior to that, it was Chris Jones and a bunch of guys who weren't really doing much consistently. Clark is kind of the, the linchpin in all that. When he plays at a high level, the whole defense kind of raises up because that's how that defense is built to play is to have two high level pass rushers with a complimentary guy. 
And when they're playing like that, that allows Jaron Reed to be a complimentary guy as well. And he's played better as of late too. I, and it'll, it allows them to really flow the way you want with the, with the back end playing solid, smart coverage. When that stuff doesn't happen, when that doesn't happen with Clark, it can be more problematic for them because they don't get pressure. Then Spagnuolo feels the need to blitz more. You risk giving up big plays. It can kind of be a domino effect. So, I mean, that that's why you've seen that, that, that switch flip very quickly because they really tightened up the mistakes they were making and were able to kind of eliminate easy plays for opposing offenses. And that's one thing that gives me some hope in terms of people talk about the defense kind of taking a big step back the last three weeks, which I understand. Um, the, the Broncos game was tough to watch some sloppy football, bad tackling, but I would say generally speaking outside of the Broncos game where they kind of largely looked a little disinterested. Um, largely the other teams needed to make good plays to move the ball. It wasn't like these blown coverages outside of Dan Sorensen. And we don't need to talk about that because it's been talked about ad nauseum. Hmm. Um, <laughs> outside of that, they've still generally required play teams to make good plays and that if you can do that consistently, force other teams to make good plays to beat you, your defense should perform at a decent level. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. All right, so last question. We'll, we'll wrap up on this. Uh, how does ultimately all this play out for the Chiefs? Where do you see this team ending up when it's all said and done during this postseason? I've seen enough that of the Chiefs and of the rest of the AFC playoff field that I I think that that the Super Bowl is is a fair is a realistic option for them and a very realistic option. I think that's probably where it ends up. Whether or not they win, uh, there's some real good teams coming out of the NFC, and they have to win you know three in a row just to get there. And that's uh you know they've made things a little tougher on themselves than they needed to. So I I'm I, I'm not sure if it'll end with a Super Bowl trophy, but I think it'll end with a Super Bowl berth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, I, I look at those teams, the NFC are just a little bit better than the those AFC teams, uh, you know, mm-hmm. right now. And and uh, a matchup with the Packers would uh, would be something else, you know. I mean, it would be much different than what we saw, of course, the uh, the first time around when we didn't even see Aaron Rodgers play. Right. We, we know State Farm wants it. Yes. So. <laughs> yes, the State Farm Super Bowl. Yes. Yep, the State uh, Farm Bowl. Those guys, they they want it bad. <laughs> they do. Seth, uh, where can people find you and follow all the uh, great work you're doing, man? Well, sure. You can find some of my stuff at the Athletic. You can also find my stuff at the Chief of the North newsletter, uh, Substack site that I started about a year and a half ago. Um, that's where most of my content is now. You can find two or three articles a week there. Um, if you if you want to subscribe. Uh, 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 Josh Briscoe, my colleague at the athletic and on eight ten, made a, a bit.ly slash Seth really hates money. That's his <laughs> to subscribe to it. It irritates him how cheap it is. So that that's where you can find my stuff. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at real MN chiefs fan for Minnesota. Um, it should be a really fun playoff run. Seth, looking forward to it. Enjoy the game this weekend. We'll be talking down the line. Appreciate you joining us. Sounds good, man. <laughs> Time for Coach Bo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com. You can also reach out to Bo by phone, 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. And you can also check out O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook and uh, reach out to Bo by email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. That's brian with a y dot O'Connor 
at LPL.com. He is also the host of the Coach Bono's podcast. New episodes out each and every Monday and Friday, and he joins us right now. Bo, good to see you and hear from you for the first time in 2022. How are we doing, my friend? Doing well. Happy New Year to you. A little belated, but uh, yeah, we couldn't get together last week. And, you know, you you had some things and I had some things. I, I did not have COVID, but uh, uh-huh. you know, I, uh, I, I had to leave for a few days. We missed an episode of the Coach Bono's podcast on Monday. We'll have a mega one on Friday. I like to think of it this way, Bo. I didn't have COVID. COVID had me. No. Whichever way it had a big baby. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you didn't get too sick. You know, it's like you're pretty, pretty, you've gotten through it pretty unscathed. So good for you. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy that you're doing well and that is to see you're at least somewhat back. <laughs> is that all you got for me? I was expecting you to like take me to town on, on getting this COVID. No, you know, a lot of people are getting it. You know, even those who are boosted like I am, I, I was down in Louisiana for a few days and well, I was I was six feet of distance and masks and everything else because I, I know how it goes down there. I, I'm from there. I'm not you gonna catch me on those sucker moves like that. I'm trying to keep this COVID off me. But uh, yeah, I it's a it's a rough one, you know. And, and a lot of people who are trying to live their lives, just trying to go about regular things, and they're getting it, but they're not having a lot of symptoms. And I just you know I get it. Hell, I could have gotten it and just not known at this point. Yeah. So I just am trying to live my best life and just get through it. Man, I remember, Bo, you know, you, you and I did a whole season of football games together, not this past year, but the year before. And we'd be going to these different stadiums and, you know, be masked up and going through crowds and all this. And it seemed like, you know, we put so much effort in. And neither one of you, neither one of us got COVID, you know, for the yeah. longest time. And then, you know, we go through life. Everything seems like it's back to normal. Then, oh. Oh, shoot. Uh, there's COVID. There's the thing we we're trying to avoid for so long. Yeah. You know, it was crazy because before we both got, I, I, you're vaccinated, I'm vaccinated. It's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, we got vaxxed, but now it's more spreadable. I, I read a thing and, and I, God, I can't remember I read this, but it was not on Facebook or social media. Okay. Um, but you I didn't go to Dr. Facebook. That's good. Yeah. It talked about the different variants from the beginning to the second, to the Delta, to the Omicron, and just the spread of them to the average person who had the original uh, COVID A variant spread it to an average of two people. The Delta variant, the average person who had it spread it to four or five people. And the Omicron, the average person, it's eight to nine people. That's how transmissible this one is comparatively. And a part of that is also because we are doing certain things things are reopening we're going to restaurants we're going to do some things so naturally we're we're taking some chances but we're taking kind of our best educated chances at this point so with that being said it's a good time to uh buy some life insurance right now hey this year i'm telling you if if you've had covid and you want to get life insurance, there are some ways to do it we can absolutely help you uh depends on how long you had it and how long it's been since you've tested negative there's some there's some waiting periods um but big thing is here you know january's here january one you everybody does this it's the new year the new me you know did you have a new year's resolution tyler i did i just had one and it was forced on me by my friends and they my uh, my buddies have forced me to give up fireball no more fireball 
and in that's particular, no more fireball and Dr. Pepper. Okay, that's not too bad. So a lot of times it's like I I I said mine was the ball for fireball now that I'm not in college anymore. No more fireball. So mine was the lose some weight, you know, and and I think the most popular ones we see are things like losing weight or um, you know, I'm gonna quit drinking or I'm gonna do this or I'm gonna do that. A big one I hear all the time is people saying, Hey, this is the year I'm gonna get my money right. If you need help, if you if this is the time you want to get your money right, no better time to do it than January. And then say, hey, let's get a plan together for you. So give me a call. Go to oagks.com, hit the contact us, and I'll be able to, I'll, I'm going to help you give you the plan to get you going. So that's the best thing you can do. That's the best way to do the new year, new me. There you go. I love it. That's great. Bolt, let's start out with the picks against the spread this week. And we have to go, we have to pick. Oh, we, we do. And we have to go over the standings before we do anything else. But to remind the folks at home just where we're at right now. We have to? Uh, yours truly. Uh, I didn't have a great week last week. I went four and six. That puts me at 104 and 84 and two overall. I got a winning percentage of about 55%. Not bad. Um, in second place is uh, Mr. TJ Reeves at 98, 90 and two. He went six and four last week. Um, in a third place, Thomas Bridges back over 500. He's, uh, uh, last week he, he went five and five. He's 96, 92 and two overall. And then way back in last place, um, Bo O'Connor after a two and eight week last week is 90, 98 and two. So Bo, you I'm are tanking. 14 games back. You got your work cut out for you as we enter the, I'm play. tanking. I'm tanking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get the first pick in the draft. Trying to get the so, first pick. <laughs> first pick in the draft next year. That's where I'm going. <laughs> I yeah, like- I've said from the beginning, fade my picks, y'all. Dude, I, I got a pretty good feeling of what will happen in a ball game, but I do not – I am not good with point spreads. I never really have been. It's a, it's a whole different game. So, well, let's go over this week. Fade them this week, too, folks, because I did this shit off the top of my cuff on this one, too. These <laughs> are off the cuff here. Go ahead. Off the cuff, I mean, you you had these built up for a couple of days or so. No, I just told you you gave me the, the the numbers. I gave you the picks. I did change one. Okay, changed one after recording my podcast. Okay, well, that's not off the cuff then. You you, you did do that. Sure, I stayed true to my picks for, except for one. Okay, well, let's get started. Come on with it. Let's. Hey, uh, what, you know, wait a minute. I do want to say one thing though. Oh no. Um, who was the one person that? Uh, we want to talk about the college football championship. We'll get to that. Oh, okay. We'll get to that. Okay. Um, I, I picked Georgia to cover. I got that one right last week. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll touch more of that here in just a bit. Okay. Um, let's go ahead and go over these playoff games. Uh, it's not just any wild card weekend, Bo. It's super wild card weekend. <laughs> <laughs> they got the right to say it. I mean, they got to they gotta get on you if you try to say something super nowadays. You can't have anything super. I'm surprised they don't go back and get Seinfeld for the super terrific happy hour, you know. <laughs> Six games in three days. Yeah. All starts on Saturday with the Raiders and the Bengals. Bengals favored by five and a half. Bo, what do we think here? I like the Bengals. I, I, the Raiders are a great story. They're a great, great story. And I think that their interim coach should win NFL coach of the year. 
This team should be in the playoffs. Rich Fasadi. Rich Fasadi. I can, I can never get the last name down. <laughs> so Rich Fasadi, I think, should be coach of the year. Um, that's not a great team. Derek Carr is still their quarterback. Somehow, some way, they have forced dumped their way into the playoffs. And by winning, instead of tying, they got the five seed. So congratulations to them because you're running into the buzzsaw that is Joe Burrow. The Bengals are going to break the streak. It's been 30 years, 31 years since they won a playoff game. And Joe Burrow is going to get one this week. I like the Bengals. I like the Bengals in a big way. So the Bengals lay the points. Here's something for you, Bo. So the first text message in the history of civilization was sent in 1992. The very first time that the Bengals won a playoff game was in 1991. No one in the history of mankind has ever sent a text message about the Bengals winning a playoff game. That will change this weekend. The Bengals will win this game. But I think the Raiders' offense is too prolific where they will not keep this close. I like the point spread here for the Raiders to keep it within five and a half. I'll go with the Raiders to uh, cover this one. The Raiders are playing really good football going into the playoffs right now. You talk about wanting to go in playing your best. The Raiders are actually on on a bit of a hot streak right now. And the Bengals are too. I mean, you got to give them a pass last week when they said everybody. I mean, ain't nobody been hotter in the last month and a half. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, yeah, two teams definitely on the upswing. All right. The uh, Patriots and the Bills. Bills favored by four. Bo, you talk about who's hot and who's not. The Patriots at one point had the best record in the AFC. The Bills, it has been a roller coaster of a year, but they played a lot better the last few weeks. This game's at Buffalo. Bills favored by four here. What do we think? I like Buffalo to win the game. This game scares the hell out of me because the, the smart – Coach in me says, who do you not want to bet against in a playoff game? And that's Bill Belichick. Um, I'm taking the Patriots plus the points. I think this game's close, but I like the Bills to win. I would not be surprised by the Patriots winning this game. This is a little bit of a, you'll see words we're talking here, but this game can be, this game's a close game. I like the Patriots, I like the Bills to, to edge it out. I mean, the Patriots plus the points. If this game was a month ago, I'd be taking the Patriots. But the Patriots have been figured out at this point. Um, I'm going to go with the Bills to win and cover that four-point margin. Uh, I like what they've been doing the last few weeks. I don't like what I've seen from New England as of late. Um, I'm going to go with uh, the Bills to win and cover this one. Then uh, we move over to Sunday. The Eagles take on the Bucks. The Bucks are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite here. Bo, interesting matchup because – the Bucs are the far superior, better team. But the one thing the Bucs don't do well is stop the run. And the Eagles are a very good running team with their backs and with Jalen Hurts leading the way. And Jalen Hurts was off last week. They were letting him rest uh, while he was still kind of recovering from injury and such. So you have a fresh Jalen Hurts in that run game. Uh, makes for an interesting matchup. This game, that line is very fascinating at eight and a half here. Yeah, that line scares me. I I think the Bucks win, and I, I like I like the Eagles plus the points here. 
I think the other thing to look at is, yes, the Eagles can run the ball. The Bucs have a little problem against the run. The Bucs will also get Leonard Fournette back this week. They'll run the ball a little more, shortens the game up a little bit. It won't be as explosive in scoring, in my view. So I like the Bucs to win. They do enough at the end of the game to win. Not sure it's about eight and a half. But real quick, Eagles are a great story. They really aren't getting talked about. You and I talked about the Eagles in the offseason and in the preseason, and we both said, there's a team that's punting. I said I like the moves kid. they made in the offseason. And- yeah, and I did too. And I, I loved it. I thought they were building toward 2023. This was the year of really seeing what they had in Jalen Hurts, and they've done that. How they got in the playoffs? I mean, part of it is the NFC past the first four or five teams has been pretty weak, but they made the playoffs. I think that's a credit to what they've done this season. Sirianni's no, done a hell of a job. Yeah, that's no reason this team should be in the playoffs when you go back and look at who they were week one. So that's what I'm trying to say is I, I'm hats off to what they've done this season. Um, I think this game's close, closer than eight and a half, six, seven, somewhere in there. Give me the give me the Eagles and the points. I think it's close for three quarters, but the Bucs put the hammer down in the fourth. I'll go with the Bucs to cover that eight and a half point margin. But respect to Sirianni and company for yeah. making it to this point for sure. The 49ers taking on the Cowboys in the afternoon game. The Cowboys a three-point favorite. Bo, this game, you go back in the wayback machine. This is gonna be a fun one for a lot of folks, uh, with the history between these two back in the postseason again. And the Cowboys, you and I are not Cowboy fans by any means. But all season long, we have touted about, okay, this team has overachieved. It is impressive what they're doing this year. And now they get this far, and now I'm like, okay, now's the time where the Cowboys fold, right? This is what they do. A a Niners team that's coming in red hot. I like the Niners to cover and pull off the upset here. I like the Niners as well. I don't know who will win this game. I am this – is, this is the hardest game of the slate to pick to me. It's going to um, be a great game. This should be a good game, yes. The Niners are going to come out running the football. Um, I think it's going to come down to which quarterback makes a mistake. Um, I think that's Garoppolo, honestly. But my argument has been with the Cowboys all season long. The upside is they can go all the way. If they run the ball, but they won't run the ball as much. They don't run the ball as much as they should. That's going to hurt them. 49ers are going to shorten the game, the run game. I like the Niners plus the points, but I think the Cowboys, when it's the hardest game to pick, I'm just taking the underdog in this case because I can see it go either way. I think the Cowboys are the better team. Yeah. I mean, I think. I think they are a better team, but um, they're not playing like the better team at the at this point in time. I would say. No, I agree with that. I yeah. Um, moving on, a couple more for you. Let's uh, move to the Sunday night game: Steelers and Chiefs. The Chiefs favored by twelve and a half at home. Possibly the last game, Big Ben's career. Uh, what do we think of uh, this matchup here, Bo? This has got a backdoor cover all over it, but I don't know if I trust Roethlisberger to get that part done. Um, this should be a big Chiefs win. But the it Chiefs was just a few co- weeks ago. The Chiefs aren't covering a lot of spreads. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of back and forth on this. Every time I think the Chiefs are going to cover a big spread, they, they don't. 
Chiefs are limping in. They didn't play well against Denver. They got beat by the Bengals. I don't think the Steelers are going to win this game. I think the Steelers have zero chance to win this game. But the Chiefs are going to win. But I, I think it's just closer than 12 and a half. I'm taking the dog here. I think it's one of those backdoor cover situations. The Chiefs offense better get it together. I do think we'll see Mahomes getting out of the pocket and making some more plays here in the, that are in the playoffs. Um, you know, they've kind of put the reins on him a little bit. I think they'll let that go a little bit. He'll do some more things. They'll win the game. Um, but I, I'm i not sold on where the Chiefs are going to be in two or three weeks yet, but I think they win this one. But I like the Steelers' little backdoor cover action. Here. The uh, Steelers have played some ugly-ass football all year. Oh, yeah. It yes. has been bad. Now, the last few weeks, that Ravens game was fun. I mean, like, they've been some gritty wins they've had. Like, that that game they had uh, you know, where, where Big Ben had his, uh, you know, sign-off in Pittsburgh and such. I mean, that, that, that was cool. And, you know, they've had some few good moments here and there. But, I mean, this team just doesn't have the offense to hang with, with Kansas City. I mean, I think that this is going to be ugly. Um well, you know, we, we've seen over the years where New England in their heyday, you know, with, with with Brady, where there was times where the game was over before it started. They just blew out some teams in the playoffs. You know, a couple of those Broncos teams, a couple of those Colts teams, um, you know, over the years. I think this is might be one of those for the Chiefs. I, I like the Chiefs and the Chiefs big. I, I'll take I, the cover that 12 and a half. I like the Chiefs are in trouble. I think they're going to win this week. I think they're in trouble after this week. We'll talk more about that here in a second. Monday Night Football, first ever Monday night game on a wild card weekend. Cardinals and Rams, two teams that aren't playing great right now. The Rams favored by four. They are at home, but coming off that loss to San Francisco, Cardinals had the best record in the league at one point. They were the last undefeated remaining only to be a wild card team at this point. Bo, Rams favored by four here. What do we think? I like the Rams. This is one of the only one of two favorites I like to cover this week. I the Cardinals are going to need Kyler Murray to play the best game he's played, and I just don't think that's going to happen. I think the was the Rams play a big game. Both the road games, road teams won these games earlier this season. Cardinals won at LA. LA won in Arizona. Arizona's played horrible last month. They're limping into the playoffs. They're not playing well. I don't know what they're doing. I I like the Rams. I like the Rams to move on here. I like the Rams here too. They were my pick preseason to win the NFC. They haven't looked like it the last few weeks, but the Cardinals just just got a lot of problems. Um, I'm going to go with the Rams here, but I don't see them getting past Green Bay and getting out of uh, Green Bay as far as that goes. So there you have it. That's our picks against the spread this week. Let's uh, let's talk some. NFL headlines, and then I want to circle back and talk about the College Football Playoff National Championship. Um, starting out, just looking at the playoff picture, we broke down this weekend's games. Now looking ahead to how this all ultimately plays out, Bo, who is going to be in the Super Bowl and who ultimately wins it all? Okay, so I'm – this is really hard to pick one team. I, I think the Packers are the best team in the NFC. Um, I think that – on any given day, the Cowboys can beat anybody. I think the Rams, 1-53, to 53, are the best team, best collection of players. I'm going to take the Rams 
beat the Packers uh, in the NFC Championship game. It was also my preseason pick, and so I'm going to stick with that. Um, but I really think it's kind of a – I think the Bucks have a chance as well. It's hard to bet against Tom Brady. Fournette's healthier. Um, but they're not the same team they were last year. They still have some injury issues. They're not as fast as they were last year. I think that it's a Packers and Rams thing in the NFC at the end. Um, to me, the team that can on any given day win a game is the Cowboys. But I do like the Packers and the, and the Rams. I think the Rams in the NFC. In the AD, there are five teams I legitimately think can win this thing. Um, I don't think the Steelers have a chance. I don't think the Raiders have a chance. But I think any of the other five teams can win. Now, I think the Patriots are likely to lose the first week. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me because I don't want to bet against Belichick. And I think that any of those teams can win. That's why I don't like, like we've seen for the last week and a half now, people are saying, well, it's the Chiefs on one side and the Packers on the other. And those are the two prohibited favorites. They're also the betting odds favorites. But I really think that the AFC is going to be harder because there's any of those five. I think that the Bills can win it. I think the Titans can win it. They're going to get Derrick Henry back as well. I think Buffalo, I think, um, I think the Chiefs can win it. I'm looking for a look here. I think the Bengals can win three games. Now, I think the Bengals are the least likely of those five teams, but I think that Buffalo can win. I think Buffalo and the Chiefs are basically the same team right now. And I'm looking at that going, okay, those two are basically the same, you know, and then I like the Titans, the team that's the different team than everybody else. They want to slow the game down and they can control the clock. And the Bengals are probably the hottest team going in. I, I really don't have a good clue. I'm going to stick with my preseason pick in the AFC and go to Titans. Okay. They're, they're different than everybody else. But, but I wouldn't be surprised if any of them lose the first week. The Titans have the bye, obviously. But it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, I'm thinking if the Patriots were to beat the Bills and they beat the Titans the next week. It wouldn't be a surprise to me. Right. Thomas and I were talking about this earlier in the show. And when you look at these uh, playoff matchups and such, you know, take when you look at Tennessee in particular, that's a team. What makes this so hard to pick, and especially in the AFC, is we really don't know what Tennessee is when Derrick Henry comes back. If he's 100%, how many touches he's going to get and such. And what that does to their offense. I mean, there's the other possibility where they could bring him back and maybe he's actually not ready. And maybe he actually hurts that team too. I mean, it's so hard to really gauge because we just don't know what impact Derrick Henry is going to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely true. And I, I don't have a good feel. Like I said, I think we've got a bulk of teams there all together that you could choose any of them. I just don't think there's a prohibitive favorite. And I think that it's wrong to think that one team is the prohibitive favorite at this point. Um, I, I like the idea of the Titans. They can play defense. They can run the ball. Offensively, they're getting it going in the passing game last few weeks as well. And just when you think you got them down, I mean, hell no way, but they were going to be the number one team a month ago. Yeah. No one. And, and again, and I think in the Chiefs case, 
they haven't looked good offensively in a month. They haven't. They 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 lead the league in first possession points. Yeah. They lead the league in first quarter points. But they play horrible offense in the second half. They don't make good in-game adjustments. Yeah. Uh, and they're too gimmicky. We're going to see more gimmicks, and we're going to see Mahomes do some Mahomes magic kind of stuff. That works in their favor, but they, who are they? I mean, if you say if you don't know who the Titans are, who are the Chiefs right now? The thing that's hard for me that I can't get over mentally when I look at the AFC in particular, Bo, is, I mean, just simple math here. You have to win three games to get to the Super Bowl, two games if you're the Titans, obviously. Yeah. And of all those teams in the AFC, all of them, literally, every single one at some point this year has had a bad three-game stretch. Yep. Absolutely. All of them. I can't trust any of them to say unequivocally, without a doubt, this team is going to run through and have a great three-game stretch. And I, and I don't think that any one of them is any better than the other right now. Like, I think that the Packers are the best team out of everybody right now. Right. But I don't think there's any team in the AFC that is prohibitively better than everybody else. But I do think that five of them can play with the Packers, with the Rams, or the Bucks on any given day. Yes, so this is going to be interesting. So when I was picking, you know, from where am I going to pick right now? I'm going to go with the dog that I started with. They're both still there. The Titans, the Rams, they've shown me who they are as best as we can see anybody right now. And that's what I'm going to go with. You're going with the girl you know, that, that brought you there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, a big part of me wants to jump to the Packers because Rodgers has been the MVP and they're going to have to go through Green Bay. But again, I had, I, I don't know. I... To me, so you bring up an interesting point as far as the Green Bay thing goes. Um, you know, last year we saw limited fan capacity and, you know, no one had real home field advantage other than the idea of they just didn't have to travel. And, you know, and, and I guess colder weather of some sorts. Now in Green Bay's case, okay, 70,000 people. You know, cold temps, who knows if we're going to see snow or anything like that. I mean, you talk about real home field. Green Bay's got it. That in the week off, I think, you know, last year worked out perfect for Tampa Bay of all the scenarios it took for them to go through as a five seed without playing a home playoff game and having to play an extra game compared to the one seed. Now we fast forward a year. I think that actually means something now compared to last year, especially yeah, in Green Bay's case. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. Um, you know, I often home field advantage as far as in a one given game is a little overrated in the NFL, but I think it makes there's there's certain places to do work. For, you know, for Green Bay, it's different. Playing yes. there is and that's my different. point. Yes. Yeah, playing there is different. It probably doesn't you know, mean a same, damn thing for Tennessee, but it means a damn thing for Green Bay. See, I think it means more for Tennessee than – I think it means more for Tennessee and Buffalo than it does for other teams in the AFC. Um, the Chiefs, I guess, I, I don't believe – I mean, Tennessee like might get outnumbered in their own stadium. We've seen that happen before. 
Yeah, but we've seen. I don't know. I don't know about that. I, I, I you're going to see that. You're going to see that a little bit of that with anybody. But I think that they're not going to be outnumbered in their own stadium, especially now as a one seed. I don't think it's going to happen. But I do think that you know, off the flip side of that is, what happens if Tampa gets a home game at the end? You got to go play in the hot. Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't get, you know, that gets overlooked. So I, I think that's the thing to look at as well. I, 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 it's just not a team that I'm going, oh, yeah, I'm still pitching my wagons to. Right. I'm going to stay with the one that Brad brought me here, and that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, let's talk about it's these. It's going to be fun. Hey, these next three weeks are going to be fun. We're going to have some good be. football. It will be. Let's talk about these uh, coach openings now. Um, okay. First off, right off the jump. What the hell were the Dolphins doing firing Brian Flores? You and I have been big fans of his for a long time. He's a good he, coach. Good coach. He's going to get another job, too. That's the, that's the, that's the thing that's great. He's going to get a better job. Uh, it might be a blessing in disguise Bill, for him getting out of there. That's a dumpster fire organization. We talked about this in the Coach Bono's podcast this week. We're going to break down all – we broke down all seven of the openings. And we kind of did it as like a three-headed – you got to think of things like a three-headed monster when it comes to the NFL – you got to have a GM and a coach who'll work together and then a quarterback and a head coach that'll work together. And it seems the problem in Miami is there's no agreement on what to do at quarterback. I don't think Brian Flores wants to attack Lailoa. The GM doesn't want to admit he made a mistake drafting him. And I think that's where this thing, I understand the issue is that it's an issue with Flores not liking Tua and the GM and the head coach not getting along. They've built a really good roster. That's a really good roster. We talked about it all season. We thought we liked that roster coming into the season. We just didn't know what Tua was going to be. Turns out he's probably not a starting quarterback. Well, no, probably to it. He's not a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think that Brian Flores probably said, hey, I want an upgrade. And they probably said, no, we're not going to admit we're wrong here. And he said, and then they, they got rid of him. I think it's a terrible idea to get rid of Brian Flores. I got you and I talked about it. I've said it here a couple of times. I know you felt the same way. I think Brian Flores is the best of Bill Belichick's assistant coaches, his New England coaches, as a head coach. He's done a great job. I just I don't understand what the Dolphins are doing. Yeah. No clue. The other firings all justified, the other six. Uh, yeah. I would say that the the, the the one that is it the easiest hire to make. The Raiders have to keep Rich Bassani, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy that's the first interim head coach since the since the 60s to take a team to the postseason. All that turmoil they went through with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs and to weather the storm. I don't care what happens in this Cincinnati game. He's earned the right to come back next year. I I would definitely if I'm the if I'm the owner, if I'm Mark Davis, yes. He is absolutely who I'm hiring. I think he should be NFL coach of the year. I've said it already. He's the, I think you definitely give him the job. However, who owns the, the Raiders? Mark Davis. Mark Davis. Mark Davis is going to want to make a splash. If this coach, if, if he's on the same page with Mike Mayock, I think it makes a lot of sense to keep him. I think that's another issue, too. Because, you know, Mike Mayock now has all the power. It was originally Gruden had the power, and Mayock was kind of like the, the chief scout more than the general manager. But uh, I think that it wouldn't surprise me if we see Mike Mayock 
lose his job when they, when Mark Davis goes to get the big name guy and the big name guy says, Hey, I'll come, but I'm bringing my own general manager. Yeah. And that big name guy that's that, that thinks he can be a GM because he did so on TV. Yeah. And it, it, yeah, that's team. what, yeah, that's what Mike Mayock really was. I um, mean, even, you know, Lewis Riddick, they're talking about for all these GM jobs. You know why Lewis Riddick works in TV? Because nobody wanted to hire him as a GM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think Lewis Riddick would be a good GM. I, I think Mike Mayock was a scout. I mean, he's a, he's a basically a scout and, you know, he doesn't have the business, the business background. Like a Lewis Riddick has some business background. He's been doing these things. If you know, sort of his past. I think it's a little different comparison there. You dig a little deeper, but I do see where you're going with that. Um, this has got Harbaugh written all over it, doesn't it? You see, I think, I think there's a good chance Harbaugh comes back to the NFL, but something to me says going back to the bears where he played, you know, there's the two spots. I think he can go being, a Big Ten guy, you know, a Midwest guy of sorts. To me, that's the one that clicks. I see him as more more likely being the Bears head coach. I want to give the Raiders the benefit of the doubt of saying, okay, all right, they're going to give Bashadi uh, a shot here. I would give Bashadi the shot. It's going to come down to that relationship. It, it, they feel comfortable with Bashadi and Mayock. And do those guys feel comfortable with one another? I think they could. I, I don't know that they will. I think that Mark Davis is going to do. He's all, he's going to do what his old man would have done, which is going to be to hire a big name. I really think that's going to be the problem here. We're going to want to make a splash. I mean, his old man hired Hugh Jackson and Lane Kiffin when they were nobodies. I mean, yeah, but again, this is a this is a different animal. I. I, I think he's going to try to make a splash. I think that. Okay, here's. Bad, bad haircut and all, Mark Davis is going to try to make a splash. Here's the names I'm looking at that need to be head coaches, besides Brian Flores, who we've already mentioned. Yes. Eric B. Enemy. I agree. Byron Leftwich, in particular, the Jags job. You listen to the Coach Bono's podcast, don't you? Hey, I was on this from, from. No, 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 no. I did an open letter three weeks ago. <laughs> that needs to happen. Yes. Uh, Kellen Legend Moore. should absolutely be the next coach of the Jaguars. Kellen Moore needs a job. I don't know if he's ready. I would even go as far to say I would get rid of Mike McCarthy to keep Kellen Moore. To be I think coach. that could happen. Um, And then the other name that I think needs to be a head coach Doug Peterson needs to come back. I think that's going to happen. Um, so and I'm pretty I sure think, we will see. I like Brian Dable, but I, I think he might be on the outside looking in. I don't know if he's going to get in. I think Brian Dable will end up being the next office coach. Okay. I think Brian Dable, I think it's – here's what I think you'll see. As teams are the higher coaches, it's going to tip their hand. So let me rephrase this. Let me start over. Seven jobs that are open, only two have quarterbacks. That two have what you would I call franchise quarterbacks. The Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence, the Bears with Justin Fields. Derek Carr is the other one that could be with the Raiders. However, he's very easily replaceable with no, no uh, dead money salary cap cut. He can be cut as early as March 1st, 
wouldn't cost the Raiders a dime. So a new coach can say, I don't want that guy. I want this guy. Um, there'll be two or three teams. I think those teams will be Denver, Miami, and the Raiders, if they get a splash of a coach, that'll go into the Aaron Rodgers situation. And one of them will be happy because one of them will get him. I think it'll be Denver when it's all said and done. Now, I think what we'll see, you know, is as each team hires their coach, we're going to see that that hand be tipped to which direction they go with quarterbacks. So a team that Brian Dable goes to is going to want to have a young quarterback, someone he can work with, and then he'll hire older coordinators. That's why I think Miami is where he ends up. Um, Byron left, which you said it. I'm huge on this. This was my thing a few weeks ago. When they fired Urban Meyer, I came out a couple days later and said, you have to hire Byron Leftwich to be the head coach. And the thing that I think Byron Leftwich should do is go get what Sean McVay did. The best thing Sean McVay did and what got him hired in the long run was they said, hey, you're a young guy. You may not be ready. And he went and got an OG. He went and got Wade Phelps to be his defensive coordinator. He went and got one of the most respected guys you can bring into the room. And I think that's what Byron left, which will do. I think he'll go get somebody who's one of the most respected guys in the room, left which will already carry a lot of respect as well going in. I think it's a perfect fit in Jacksonville. We'll see these things pair up. Younger guys find older coordinators. Then you'll find older coaches like Doug Peterson are going to look for places where there's a GM opening as well and bring their GM with them. Mm -hmm. Look at Minnesota. That's where I think Doug Peterson ends up. I think Flores ends up in Minnesota. Yeah, I think I think Brian Flores is going to be in Chicago. Um, if I were to predict right now, I would say Jacksonville gets Leftwich, Denver gets Beanie. Uh, I, I think Denver and Beanie. I think you're 100 certain. I think I, I think you're spot on with that. Minnesota I think that Leftwich Flores. should go to Jacksonville, but they're not going. To. Chicago gets Harbaugh. How do they get Flores? Um, and then Miami, I would lean towards Dable, but not confidently because, I mean. No, I'm in the same boat. It's exactly who I think, but I don't think it's. And then Peterson at that point, maybe the Giants job? I think Peterson's the Vikings guy. And the Giants, from what I understand, want to hire a GM first. So we don't even know who's interviewing for that job. One thing Jacksonville's done, at least, is they're – they they're they've interviewed everybody under the moon. So right where I see where, where Peterson could be an interesting hire for the Giants in the sense is that he would be the total opposite of Joe Judge, who lacked experience as a head coach, had never been an offensive or defensive coordinator. Yeah. You flip that around, you say, fine, we'll go get the Super Bowl winning head coach that's out there, Doug Peterson, yeah. that's been in this division. Yeah, he's gonna have to have a GM in pocket. I mean, that's gonna be a package deal. I think that he – and I don't know who that is. I don't know who – I I think that's some kind of – is there some assistant that was in Kansas City with him at one point he was with Andy Reid that might be somebody uh, that would be with him? I don't know. I, there's – I think it'll be interesting. There'll be a couple of guys – you'll see pairs. You'll see pairs. Yeah. Guys with coordinators and 
older, more experienced guys with GMs. My last thing on this, and then we'll move on. Uh, Please, God, don't let Bill O'Brien come back to the NFL as a head coach anytime soon. Please, dear Lord, if please do not let, let, let this happen. All right. I agree. But Bill O'Brien is the next Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. No, no, don't I'm say that, please. No, it hey, sounds like something Khan would do. But and that's exactly where I'm going. It's a, that's a that is a Shad Khan hire. That's a Shad Khan hire. I'm telling you, I it is if the smart thing would be to go get Byron Leftwich, but they're not going to. It's gonna be it's gonna be Bill O'Brien in Jacksonville. You know what's funny about all this too is that here was Bill O'Brien leading one of the nation's best offenses in college football. By the way, he coached a terrible game uh, yes. on Monday night. We'll talk about that in just a sec. Um, and he was never mentioned for any of these college jobs. He did a pretty, pretty decent good job at Penn State as head coach, too, after all the Joe Paterno stuff. But nobody wanted him for a college job. And yet it's still the Jags that come calling. I mean, it's it's so yeah. typical. Well, I think the Bill O'Brien thing in college is not going to happen because I don't think he wants to recruit. I think it's known. He, did, he he wasn't a particularly good recruiter when he was at Penn State. He did a fine job getting that program through the problems they had. But he – because I mean, his biggest – like, if you look at, look at quarterback recruits, I mean, he didn't have great quarterback recruits. The one he did have that was the, the biggest number was actually Christian Hagenberg, you know, who was a five-star guy. He couldn't develop. I, I just – I think mean, he knows he doesn't want to be a head coach in the, in, in college. I don't think he wants those those, those recruiting issues. You know, those that's a big part of that gig. I think mean, he wants back to the NFL. I think people are going to say he's a good head coach. He's not, not a good GM. Yeah. And he'll be someone who will say, okay, get me the money ball guy. Get me – what's to stop Jacksonville or what's to stop the Giants from getting Lewis Riddick and Bill O'Brien? <laughs> I, I don't know if those two guys know each other or anything else. I'm just – that style of people, you know, you know, if smart. If we're going to go in the doomsday uh, scenario – and we're putting TV analysts out for jobs. How about this, Bo? The Jags hire Bill O'Brien as head coach and Booger McFarlane as GM. <laughs> Booger McFarlane is not qualified to be a general manager. Lewis <laughs> Riddick. Bill O'Brien is qualified to be There's a whole different animal there. <laughs> but I, I don't know if Lewis Riddick and Bill O'Brien's a good spot. But I'm, just, I'm using that as the example. But, yeah, I see where you're going. It's kind of funny. Look at McFarland would be a terrible general manager. Could you imagine? <laughs> that would be very much be a Jags move. I I would I'd be a better general manager than Booger McFarland. <laughs> and he's your guy. He's an LSU guy. He's an LSU guy. Yeah, he's just I I, I like Booger personally. I just don't. <laughs> I, he's he's not great on TV. <laughs> Spears is a lot better. When, I remember when I first watched the SEC Network the very first time when it launched, and one of the first people I see on there is a guy named Booger McFarland, and I'm like, okay, so this is how this network yeah, go. Yeah, what you don't understand is that's a popular nickname in the South. It's just one of those names. It's a nickname that sticks with you. I've always said you know, that was 
Leonard, Leonard Fournette was his childhood nickname was Booger. When uh, when Bill O'Brien was a head coach, it was as if we were seeing what it would have been like if Booger McFarland was a head coach. It's a match made. I, Bill Bill O'Brien is not a bad coach. He's not a good GM. And the problem that they ran into is they made him the GM. Yeah, set that franchise back a decade with the D. He did absolutely. He was a terrible general manager. He's a good coach. Bad general manager. Yeah. And, well, and that's what the, that's what's going to get said about him over and over and over again. My mind automatically goes to him blowing that 28 to 3 lead against the Chiefs in one half. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna get he's gonna get the Dexville Jaguars job. God, I hope not. Um college football. Georgia wins the national title, first title since 1980. Kirby and company get it done. Um I mean, there's a lot of angles you go at this, Bo. Um, there's a few things that stand out to me. Not only the fact that they broke through, finally. Um, you, you look at, you know, they had Mark Rick winning 10 games every year. Yeah. And they took a chance. They faced a lot of criticism for firing Mark Rick. And yet they proved pretty fast that they made the right decision and found Kirby and what Kirby was able to do and to break through to win that title. That, to me, is something in the 40-year wait. And then the Stetson Bennett angle of it, um, you know, former walk-on, was doubted all season long. I mean, there was people during the game itself calling for him to be benched and for JT yeah. Daniels to come in. I mean, that's a great story. The defense, one of the best defenses we've ever seen in college yeah. football. And then the other side of this, too, of the fact that this was a team that – you know, was the best team all year, and they get hit in the mouth by Alabama in the SEC title game. They respond, handing Michigan smackdown, and then were clearly the better team. The better team won. A lot of interesting angles. I mean, it felt like a movie ending for Georgia. Well, we talked a little bit about this you know, both off the air and more off the air, you and I talked a lot about these bowl games. And I I, I was the one person who picked Georgia in our pool. And, and the reason being is I said, hey, when they played the first time, that was the worst game Georgia played all season. It was the best game Alabama played yeah. all season. And I just didn't think that was going to happen. I didn't think that there was no way that was going to happen again. They'd come back to the middle. Georgia's defense is phenomenal. It reminds me a lot of those Alabama defenses from the early 2010, the early Saban years. I mean, where they just loaded with the NFL guys and they just you couldn't score. I mean, Georgia doesn't want to doesn't want to let you in the end zone, and then they just they'll fight you to get in the end zone. Um, that defense was incredible all season. You know, it doesn't surprise me they won the national title. I picked them preseason. You know, I said this was the year. I thought JT Daniels was there going to be their quarterback. I picked him to win the Heisman. Um, but I, it's a phenomenal deal that they came back and won this after losing. They didn't. They didn't let the idea of losing to Alabama intimidate them when they played Alabama again. Kirby Smart is the one guy who was of Saban's guys that coached underneath him that really wasn't intimidated by Saban. He was like, okay, I. Can, you could tell they're close, that they both were really classy at the end of the game. Um, but you could tell that from the day Kirby Smart got to Georgia, there was one goal. 
and you if you looked if you knew what you were looking at, you knew they were going to get it too. And I, I he's pretty phenomenal. Uh, Kirby's built a really great team. He's gone and recruited well. He's built that team in his image. Their defense is great. And, and in, a, in a time when defense is not supposed to mean anything anymore. I mean, now we're supposed to be in the, in the, the era of you got to score 40 points to win a game. That game was 9-6 to half. Mm-hmm. Defenses were playing phenomenal. But Georgia was so fast. Every time that they, they, Alabama got into some space, they throw the ball outside. You, they get a block on a screen pass or to an outside to or to some kind of reception outside. I mean, you and were watching the NFL guys. game. You were watching yeah, the NFL it, game, basically. It was unbelievable. We're going to see these Georgia defensive players all over the NFL the next couple of years. All over. I mean, they're just phenomenal. Um, it's a great game. You know, the game was so close for so long, I and mean, then you had – I thought when the, the fumble happened, when Stetson Bennett fumbled, I thought, oh, that's the opening Alabama needs. And Alabama scores and goes ahead. Georgia kept fighting. And they scored again, went ahead. Then you have the pick six, and it's over. And Georgia was the best team all season. Mm-hmm. We knew that. We knew going in they were. It wasn't a surprise they were the favorite. If you thought they weren't the favorite, you just weren't watching football all season. This is a young Alabama team. This is Saban's youngest team, really. Um, they'll be a monster next year, and they'll, they'll be tough. I mean, they'll be back next year as well. Um, it's unbelievable. But Georgia now, and they've pulled it off. They win the, They won the natty now. Georgia is in the upper echelon. They are in that one, two, three category, the best programs in the country. It's Alabama. It's Georgia. Third might be Ohio State, but there's a gap. Yeah. There's not much of a gap between Bama and Georgia now. And the recruiting classes the last five years, they've been one-two. They've been one-two the the whole time. Yeah. And the staff, I mean, you lose Dan Lanning. He's going to be going to Oregon to be their next head coach. Yeah. But – Todd Munkin called a hell of a game. We talk so much about their defense. Todd Munkin, he spent some time in the NFL, former Oklahoma State offensive coordinator. I've always been a big fan of Todd's. Yeah. To me, what was fascinating was that the fact that he coached up Bennett the way that he did. Bennett might never play in the NFL. Uh, He won't. No. Yeah. He won't play it down in the NFL. He won't, yeah. And the way that he was able to elevate Bennett's play and get the most out of him, I thought Todd Munkin did a hell of a job. For as much as we talk about that defense, the offensive game plan in those two playoff games was phenomenal from Georgia. Yeah, well, we knew what they were going to do. Everyone knew what Georgia was going to do. They were going to run the football. The best thing they did in the championship game was they got into the third quarter and decided, okay, we're going to come out in early third quarter, we're going to run the football, but we're going to take a couple of shots. And those shots loosened up enough to get some of the short passing game in. And then all of a sudden they became explosive in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, Mike did a great job, I thought. Um, O'Brien didn't do as good a job. I think that he was, I think he was nervous. And I think that a lot of what he was doing was trying to 
rely on the big play. And that's not who Alabama is. That was that was almost like Lane Kiffin calling a bad game. Yeah. I mean, I just I I, I thought in the end, I thought the fourth quarter, Georgia just said, we're going to this level. We're going to a championship level. Because neither team offensively played well at all for three quarters. Mm-hmm. I thought that Georgia really stepped up and did play in the end. And I give a lot of credit to the Georgia offensive uh, unit as far as Stetson Bennett is the quarterback. Look, that's a country club name right there. I mean, that guy. Stetson I mean, Bennett the fourth. The fourth, yes. Stetson Bennett the fourth. He should not be playing quarterback for a national championship football team. You got to be like, you know, riding a horse, playing polo and, you know, drinking lemonade. I, I, if you told me that Stetson Bennett the fourth was from Georgia, I wouldn't think he was the quarterback of Georgia. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Like a character from Tarantino movie. That's a great point. We're out of time. <laughs> Appreciate you joining us as always. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. OAGKS.com as well. Before we go, what's coming up on the podcast? Hey, we're going to talk uh, all these NFL hirings. We just kind of, what you and I talked about is kind of the tip of the needle. What we did, we talked about all seven uh, open positions. Preview this weekend. Uh, we talked, we went into an interesting one on the sports business side. Uh, some of the stuff that's going on with Fanatics and the purchase of Fanatics purchasing the Topps Baseball Card Company, and talked a little bit about that. So if you want to hear an interesting story, we got a little bit about that. And uh, we're going to have uh, this token girl and I are doing all those, and then we're going to have uh, Hayden Fallett come in, and he and I are going to talk AEW and WWE at the end for a little bit and uh, kind of preview 2022 in that world. So it's a lot of fun. Big podcast. This The point five this week is going to be a monster-long podcast, the longest one we've had so far. Bo, looking forward to it. Got to go. Thanks for joining us, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Tyler. Have a good one. Big thanks to Coach Bo for joining us on the football fix. A couple more things before we get out of here and uh, wrap up today's show. Let's get to our Big 12 basketball breakdown as uh, college football season's over. So now people finally start paying attention to college hoops. And the Big 12 conference, once again, the best conference in the country. In case you have not watched any college basketball this year, you are not alone. There are plenty of folks just like you. So we are here to catch you up to speed and tell you what has been going on in the college basketball world, in particular the Big 12 Conference. Big 12 looking mighty good to start off the 2021 through 2022 campaign. Uh, Five teams ranked in the top 25 with Baylor at number one, uh, Kansas at nine, Texas Tech at 19, Iowa State 15, Texas at 21. Um, Some really good basketball teams. And then outside of the top 25, you're talking about some tournament quality teams in West Virginia and Oklahoma. And uh, then from there on out, we'll we'll see what happens. Oklahoma State, of course, not eligible for the tournament this year, although uh, they've had their moments at times that, they are eight and six TCU at 10 and two um, probably needs to play, you know, a lot better in big 12 play. You know, they're all in one right now. They'll need to have a good run through big 12 play. We'll see if that uh, non-con play was 
uh, a scam or not. But nonetheless, the Big 12 looking like the best conference in the country. SEC, probably second best conference. Big 10 is not bad. ACC is down this year. Uh, Big 10 is down this year. And, you know, you, you go on from there. But, but anyways, um, starting with Baylor, this team starts out the year 15-0. and 0. They lose on Tuesday night, their first game of the year in Texas Jack, 65-62 at home. And Baylor is still got the best record in the country. There's no undefeateds left. And that's not a bad loss. This is a good Texas Tech team. I mean, you're talking about a Texas Tech team, folks, that lost their head coach, uh, Chris Beard, to Texas. They promote from within Mark Adams, an assistant coach, and they have not skipped a beat. They've had a really good year. The O'Banner kid from ORU has been one of their best players. He's been phenomenal this year. He had 13 points the other night that went against Baylor. Not a bad loss. I know it was at home, but, you know, Baylor, it's, it's a damn shame, Tom, that here's Baylor. They've won a national title. They've been a consistent good program, and they still can't sell out their games. Like, there was a bunch of empty seats for that Texas Tech game the other night. I'm like, what the hell? I mean, come on, Baylor. I mean, my God. Um, but nonetheless, not a bad loss. I still would have Baylor as the number one team. I don't hold that against them. That's not a bad loss. They lost to a good team. It was bound to happen eventually. Right, yeah. I mean, I think they'll be fine. And, and you know, uh, Baylor is going to – you know, Baylor with the year they had last year, you know, we, we start to expect maybe more out of them. Um, but, you know, for what it's worth, I think Baylor will be fine. And, and I think they'll I, – I still think they'll probably get the top overall seed. Yeah, that's still number one. That's not, not bad by any means. Um, I mean, we were expecting Baylor to take a step back of some sorts. Yeah, they lost four starters from that national title team last year. But yet, you know, here they are, you know, Mayer's there, um, you know, Flagger, uh, Flagler and some of these other guys. I mean, they, they got some dudes that can play. And they play well on both ends. I mean, Baylor is, is a solid team. Um, I mean, they're, they're still the, the best team in the country. I don't take too much away from them losing one finally after winning 15 straight and uh, falling to Texas Tech there. Meanwhile, my Kansas Jayhawks, you know, things look so optimistic for this Kansas team to begin 2021 through 2022. It looked like that they had the potential to be the best team in the country. When you looked at the offense that Kansas was bringing into this year, Ochai Baji is scoring over 20 points a night. He's been terrific on the defensive end. I really like what I've seen from Ochai. Christian Brown has done a really good job as their number two scoring threat. I mean, on any given night, this Kansas team can score 100 points. I mean, they're terrific offensively, but they don't have the presence down low. David McCormick is a liability defensively. Mitch Lightfoot just isn't quite good enough the efforts there, but he doesn't have the athleticism that you need from a big down low. And that's their weakness. I mean, Kansas, um, they can outscore you, but if you got a team that can hang with them somewhat offensively and can do the, the other work, if you can, you know, get a team that can hang with them somewhat offensively, but can hammer them down low. Like we saw what Texas tech did last Saturday, 
That's the recipe. That's the blueprint to beat Kansas. And until something changes, and granted, Bill Self is known for figuring things out. But uh, as of right now, this Kansas team, talented bunch, but they're kind of vulnerable right now, Tom. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, they 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 do get the win against Iowa State, but, uh, you know, it's they don't look – you know, there's still a lot of work to do. And, and granted, there's still February to go uh, to kind of shore up what team you'd be rolling in March with. And I, obviously, Bill Self's known to do that, I think. Um, so I think they'll be able to do that. Um, but it's, it's, you know, maybe it's not the powerhouse we we've come to know just yet. I, 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 there's still a lot of work to be done. I mean, hell, we're not even halfway through January. Um, you know, I, I think Bill Self will have his, he, he does it. That's the Bill Self's MO. He's going to have his team ready, uh, come, come March. Like I said, whole a month and a half left. Uh, okay, you'll be okay. Yeah, yeah. There, there's. I know that people in Lawrence love to overreact and get you know upset about one loss and the whole fire bill self thing. You know, I've I've been through whole, that whole charade and seen the uh, you know all levels of, of pain of Kansas basketball and what those fans you know, overreact to. But this team, give it time. You know, I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to be fixed but at least give it a chance to see if they can find a workaround of some sorts. But uh, when they're, when they're on, they're on, but that, that presence down low, they got to figure something out uh, in the short term. We'll see what happens. I I will say though, I loved that they brought Roy Williams back on, uh, on Tuesday night that he was honored and was in attendance. I would have loved to seen, when he was at North Carolina, if they would have had a home and home series, if KU would have gone to Chapel Hill and if Roy would have come back to Lawrence with his North Carolina team, they never made that happen. But Roy is a guy, I know some people don't like the way he left and such, but he was there a long time. He still supported the program after he left. He showed up to some of KU's final four national championship games, wearing the KU Jayhawk on his, uh, on his shirt, you know, wore the colors and continued to support the program as, has always been good to KU, um, you know, and, and a program that is so rich in tradition that hasn't had that many head coaches. I know Roy didn't win a title, but he was a big part of what Kansas basketball is today and a hall of fame coach to me, that was special. I, I was really excited to see Roy come back. I would love to see more of Roy and, and Lawrence in some capacity. That was pretty cool. Tom. Yeah, it was. And, and I, I think he, you know, I think that should be a, a, a thing. You know, I know he's got his, his history in, in North Carolina too, but uh, you, you got to bring him back. You got to, you got to do those things. And it doesn't just go for him and, and KU or, you know, UNC. I, I think all examples of that should be a thing. I, I think we should be able to celebrate you know, past history more so. And, and that doesn't even go for basketball either. I think that's across all sports. I don't think we do that enough. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Uh, look at some of these other teams in the Big 12. Texas had some high expectations entering uh, 2021 through 2022 with the uh, guys that that uh, Chris Beard was able to bring in the transfer portal. And they were a preseason top five team. But they've taken some time to adjust of some sorts. Andrew Jones, uh, 
hell of a player. I mean, they got some real talent on that Texas team. It's just taking some time, and it's a new head coach and such. I didn't expect this team was going to be great overnight. I would think that they have all been through the uh, you know the short points of sorts. I would think that this team has already uh, you know been through their worst. I think Texas is going to figure things out and get better from here on out. I like where this Texas team is going here, Tom. I, I wouldn't be surprised if by the end of the year. We're talking about Texas getting back into the equation of being a potential Elite Eight or Final Four team. 14-point win against Oklahoma last night, the other night was very impressive. Right. You know, they did take the loss in Gallagher-Iva a couple of days ago. And then, you know, to follow that up with, to show the, just the resiliency, come back and, and beat OU the way they did. Uh, like this Texas team, I feel like, still has a lot to prove. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think they definitely sweet 16 type team and, and, you know, maybe elite eight. Maybe, maybe so. Um, I, I like what Chris Bruce does. Weber can do it at K state, Texas can do it. Yeah. Um, speaking of the team they beat, uh, Oklahoma Porter Moser squad, um, you know, they, they got some talent there that, that Oklahoma team, uh, I, I really like, uh, you know, uh, Tanner Groves, the, uh, the, the big man they brought in from Eastern Washington, that 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 bearded guy that can shoot those three-pointers and his brother, I mean, they got some good players. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll be a tournament team. I don't expect them to go very far, but for being the first year, for the transition that they've gone through and such, um, you know, they had some nice non-conference wins. I, I would say that uh, Porter Bozer's off to a fairly good start at Oklahoma. I think if you're an Oklahoma fan – you have to be pleased with the performance that Porter Moser and companies put together through these first couple months of his tenure. That Arkansas win they had a few weeks back when they dominated handing Arkansas their first loss of the year, that was a statement win. I like this Oklahoma team. Don't know how far they'll go, but I, I've been impressed with what Porter's done in year one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it takes a little bit. You know, you can't expect him to, to even come in and replicate anywhere near long Kruger success, not right off the bat. You know, he's got to get his guys in there and get his, his scheme in and kind of implemented. So, I mean, but for the first year, hell, I mean, you can't really do, you know, it's be hard to do much better. I mean, maybe you could do much better. Who knows? But for, yeah, like I said, if you're an OU fan, you have to be pleased somewhat. And, you know, this is kind of the year you build on and expound the next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. West Virginia – this is a, a rebuilding year for them. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, Angelica Trinone from uh, uh, Golden Blue Nation, uh, co who covers West Virginia the other day. And she was saying that, you know, hey, it's a, a down year. They're not too excited uh, about this team. But even at that, a down year for West Virginia. They're 13-2. and two. They beat a pretty good UConn team in the non-con. Um, you know, this is a team that will make the tournament. I don't know how far they'll go of some sorts, but – that goes to show you the expectation that's been raised for not only that West Virginia program, but the Big 12 Conference as a whole. When, when 13 and two and you're not feeling great, to me, that says a lot about what Bob Huggins has done there at West Virginia. I know it might not be the year that they want uh, per se, but I, I think that they, they might be a little hard on themselves here, Tom. I mean, yeah, if you're 13 and two, uh, I mean, you're going to 
you're you're fine. I mean, especially you got Bob Huggins. You know, you, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think for West Virginia, maybe, you know, I feel like maybe they had higher hopes last season. But, um, you know, this West Virginia team's still good. Yeah. This West Virginia team's a team that upsets you in the Sweet 16. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right about that. They, they, uh, they have some. They can do some damage. Uh, you know, Jalen Bridges and company. Um, I, I think the thing that hurts them. You know, we talk about transfers and such. Um, you can't help but think what this West Virginia team would be like if uh, if they had their uh, their big man Oscar Shibway who transferred out and is doing so well for Kentucky. I mean, the other night against Vanderbilt, he had 30 points and 13 rebounds. And, you know, he's been averaging, you know, a double-double every night and been one of the best players in the country here. I think that's one of the things, if you're West Virginia, maybe it's when, when you're disappointed of how this year's gone, you're thinking about what it should have been because you should have had Oscar Shibway in his senior year on this team. And then who knows what they would have done at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to get down from the jump when you lose a player like that, too, especially when he goes to Kentucky and you see what he's doing. You know, if he goes to Kentucky and sucks, then it's no sweat off your back. But when he's killing it, he, you know, every night, then it's like, oh, what could have been? Right, right. Um, last team I want to touch on here, uh, Iowa State. Uh, we mentioned they lost to Kansas the other night. But uh, 13-3, and uh, you know, new head coach this year. Uh, TJ was an assistant for eight years at Iowa State and, you know, had a couple different stops since uh, taking this head coaching job, South Dakota State and such. And, and you know, they, they rattled off all those wins in the non-con, you know, beating teams like Xavier, Memphis, Creighton, Iowa. Um, but they started out Big 12 play, only winning one of their first four games here. Um you know, you, you look at it, and the, they weren't bad losses. I mean, Oklahoma's a good team. Kansas is a good team. Uh, they get the win against Texas Tech here. Kind of a reality check of some sorts. I thought when I saw at one point that a seed line projection had Iowa State as high as a two seed. I think Stadium had them as that. I'm like, okay, okay. Iowa State's not going to be a two seed here. You know, if, if at the end of the day, this team is a borderline top 25 team, you 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 love it if you're Iowa State. This team, first year head coach, they've been bad the last couple of years. Nobody thought they were going to do anything this year. I think you're more than satisfied with where this Iowa State team is at. I know this hasn't been the start to league play they wanted, Tom, but I think you, you still have reason to be optimistic. Iowa State's going to have a hell of a year. They've already had a hell of a year. Right. Exactly. I mean, like I said, you talked about it with OU, first year head coach. You, you... You know, you can your expectations can only be so high. Um, I mean, I don't care if you get the ghost of John Wooden as the first year head coach at a new place. Uh, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna run into some things. You're, I don't feel like your expectations should be super high. You know, they, you know, you get high expectations, you get a lot of disappointment. You, you know, lower your expectations, you might find a lot of joy. Um, and and you know, that's that's how I look at things. Uh, that's how I looked at it with, with OSU and Mike Boyden, and that's how, you know, anybody with a brand-new coach should kind of look at it. Lower your expectations. You come to find a lot of joy in things. Yeah. And, and for Iowa State, they'll be fine. I think this Iowa State team, 
tournament team and and they'll be fine uh you know especially after where you know they had that run where it was oh i was state's good at basketball then they went and shit to bed for a couple of years now they're trying to get back so i i think for iowa state you got to be happy with where you're at i mean you did almost beat kansas i get get it and a loss is a loss but uh, it's a lot to build on. Yeah, I mean, that's a program that's got a lot of pride. I mean, traditionally speaking, I know football's been really good under Matt Campbell the last couple of years. That's a basketball school. You know, Fred Hoiberg not too long ago had them going toe-to-toe with KU, and they were bringing in all sorts of players and had a really good run. And, you know, that, that program has has reason to be excited that they're on the up and up, that they're on the turnaround of some sorts. I mean, even in their down years, they were still winning Big 12 tournaments. So uh, Iowa State, they, they're not going to be bad for long. You know, the, the worst is behind them, I think, as far as that goes. So there you have it. That's our Big 12 basketball breakdown for this week. Before we go, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, where shall we head to this time? Jones, we're going to Canada. Right? Oh, was- Canada. Right, if you've seen anything about our friends up north, you'd see that uh, the United States issued a travel warning of a do not travel to Canada right now. Um, and, and surprisingly enough, Canada didn't strike me as a no, we ain't getting the vax type place. But supposedly in Quebec, that's what's happening. And, and I don't know if Jones, I, I, to not get crazy political about the vax or anything like that. I don't necessarily know if I agree with all of the implementations that I'm about to read off to you. Uh, Jones, if you didn't know in Quebec, you can get, you can get, you know, some medicinal pot, right? And, you know, you've always been able to get liquor while out of, from what I understand, a higher cost in Canada than you can get it here. Um, a lot of people do travel to the U.S. and get liquor to bring back. But uh, Jones in Quebec, they are saying, you know what? Um, we ain't gonna have it no more. If you, you if you don't have at least the first vaccine, no liquor, no weed. And Jones, since that's happened, uh, it's it's been crazy in Quebec. And from what I understand, when I read this article, they have um, government run or government influenced liquor stores and dispensaries. Um, this comes from the Montreal CTV News. Um, headline reads, first dose vaccinations quadruple in Quebec ahead of restrictions at liquor and cannabis stores. Number of appointments for the first dose of a COVID-19 vaccine has risen sharply this week in Quebec, according to Health Minister Christian Dubé. In a brief message posted to social media Friday morning, Dubé notes that in the last few days, appointments for first doses have increased from 1,500 per day to more than 6,000. The minister took a moment to thank those who finally decided to get vaccinated, reiterating that it's never too late to receive a first dose of the vaccine. Thursday, Dubay announced that vaccine passports would be required to enter. Um, this is in French, so I'm not going to read it. Um, SAQ, which would be their liquor stores, and the SQDC, which would be their dispensaries. He explains the decision was made to curb an increase in cases of the highly contagious Omicron variant. He says he hopes this measure will be an additional incentive for some people to get their first dose of vaccine against COVID-19. More than 50% of people currently hospitalized are non-vaxxed, though they represent about 10% of the population. Dubai adds in the coming weeks, other non-essential services, 
including personal care, could be added to the list of places requiring a vaccine passport. Jones, two sides to this. Um, the way I'm reading it, I picked it as Tom Fullery because I think the vaccine passports on things that are like non-essential travel related or, you know, travel related in general. Sure. Cool. You know, I, I can see that. But to not be able to go into a liquor store or a personal care place, I don't know exactly a whole lot of what that's going to entail if they put those bans on. Um, you know, I don't smoke pot, so I don't really care about that portion of it, but you know, if it doesn't affect me, whatever, but you know, for some people, they rely on medicinal weed and I myself sometimes have relied or during the beginning of the pandemic relied on the liquor stores to keep me sane. I don't know if I agree, uh, wholeheartedly with the vaccine passports on that portion of it. While I do agree with getting vaccinated. I do understand it's a choice. Obviously, Canada is a lot different. It's government-run alcohol and government-run cannabis. Can't change that um, portion of it, so I get why they do it. But damn, if it's not getting to extremes. Uh, you know, people are like, all right, this is the last straw. Give me the shot. It, that's part of why I picked it for Tom Fuller. If Jones, if I can't get my weed and I can't get my liquor then, well, damn it, that's the last straw. You know, anything else, you know what, if I can't go and travel to the next to the next uh, county over to the next country or to the next state or the next territory, then f*** it, I'll stay home. But you take <laughs> away the alcohol and my weed. We'll get oh. Well, and, and that's what these, you know, vaccine passports and restrictions are about is that they put them in place to get you to the point where you say, oh, F it, okay, fine. I'll go ahead and get the vaccine then. You've given me no other option. Um, you know, that that's why they do these those things to get you to that breaking point to go ahead and get you the vaccine. Because, you know, we, we've learned that the vaccine doesn't stop transmission or the spread of COVID or from you from getting COVID. It, what it does is it reduces the rates of death and of what it does to uh, the symptoms, you know, it uh, reduces the symptoms of COVID, you know, which was my case, you know, I mean, I've been vaccinated um, and got COVID, but because I was vaccinated, I didn't have a severe case of it, uh, you know, as even as if, uh, if I weren't vaccinated, it would have been you know, much worse, more than likely, with that being said. So, yeah, that's what this is, um, you know, and we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, Tom, I mean, these liquor stores, those numbers were through the roof of what they were doing, of how much they were selling and how much people were drinking more and more and such. I mean, people, they, they got to have their booze one way or the other here. I was talking to a friend of mine, get this Tom. I was talking to a friend of mine in Ireland the other day, and she was telling me, she's a bartender in Ireland of an Irish pub, and they have a... Uh, mandate right now that all pubs and restaurants have a curfew of 8 p.m. right now because of the pandemic. I don't believe in the curfews. I said that at the beginning when they tried to do the curfew here in Oklahoma. Don't agree with it, and I heard small business. Uh, people are going to do it anyway. You know, I, I mentioned what I, what I thought about the vaccine passport and the liquor stores and the dispensary, sure. 
I think you limit more. So it was up to me, which is it's not, and it won't be. But if I had it my way, like Burger King, I would just say, you know what? Sure, get your liquor, get your weed. But then I would just do the, you know, I agree with the concert thing and anywhere out in public, whether that be a bar or a restaurant, I can get down with that. But if you're just trying to get you some liquor or some weed and stay home, and I don't, you know, it's, it's for me, it's more so like everybody make their own decision. But I did think it was funny where the line is drawn. You know, they went from 1500 per day to six thousand uh whatever that is a, a 250 percent increase if my math is right which is probably wrong but it's it's a high it's it's a, it's a big ass number and i thought it was pretty funny that they said you know what this is where we this is you, you've taken it away and i will be a part of this no more um you know i i wonder what would be the breaking point here in the u.s um for people to be like all right that's it you know they you know, before it was they limited gyms or shut down gyms and they shut down restaurants and bars to only take out. And what's the limit here? If you had to pick something in the U.S. where it would be the same thing, granted, a lot of people are still getting their vaccines today and, and their booster shots. I myself haven't got the booster, was sick, wanted to make sure I was back to healthy before I even thought about trying to get the booster. Um, as people I've talked to, it's made sick like the second dose made people and I didn't want to go through that uh, immediately after taking off work for being sick. But, Jones, what is the... What do you think is would be the breaking point? What would be akin or similar to Canada in in the liquor store? Do you think it's the liquor stores and dispensaries that it would, would pop up? Or are we thinking like shut down all fast food? Oh, man. What would be the breaking point for me? Um... If you took away my Dr. Pepper and said, like, hey, no Dr. Pepper, or if you don't get the vaccine, that might do it for me. Maybe even more so than alcohol. It might be Dr. Pepper. Yeah, you know, I probably, yeah, I can see that. I don't know what would be mine. I mean, right now I'm on somewhat dry January, somewhat 75 hard, so I'm not drinking. But I, I guess for me, if I didn't have the vaccine, what would make me get it is probably... I don't know, entertainment and nightlife. I mean, they, granted, they kind of already did that with concerts. Some concerts are, you know, vaccine, show your proof of vaccine required. And, um, you know, that or, you know, bars, obviously, DJing, that would be a, kind of a requirement. I, I guess you could say with the way it's going, and I haven't made an announcement on it yet. I did get an email on Friday from my place of work. That said, hey, show us your vaccination just in case this goes through. Um, I'm not 100% sure that my place of business was uh, too big of a fan of what's going on in terms of hire versus fire, the people who do or do not get the vaccine. Um, so maybe that would, maybe that's a break. I say that's a breaking point. Um, it hasn't went into effect yet, but, you know, a lot of people are, are, choosing not to and, and moving on to jobs that don't require it. So here's but, something for you, Tom, speaking of that along those lines. So um, with me getting COVID, the the way that the outline has been put together, the guidance by the CDC, the first five days that you've been diagnosed, you stay at home and isolate. And then the next five days, you can go back out in public, go back to work, whatever again, but you have to wear a mask. And so 
I go back to work. I actually went back on my sixth day. I had an extra day to stay at home. And uh, I go back and I'm wearing my mask. And here we are, you know, it's Wednesday. And I'm like one more day where I have to wear, you know, the damn mask, which I just hate wearing the mask. Um, you know, especially was, as a guy with glasses trying to wear a mask, you know, and my glasses getting fogged up and such, such a pain in the ass to wear these damn face masks. Um, but that's a whole nother topic. Anyways, I was excited. Like, okay, great. Almost to the finish point. Don't have to wear this stupid mask anymore. And then what do you know what happens, Tom? Uh, Omaha reinstated their mask mandate. So I got to keep wearing this, this mask again. <laughs> when did they, yeah, that sucks. When did they reinstate it? Today. And so it's like, I just got a head start on everybody else and having to wear these face masks, basically. Yeah, I guess so. I'll be interested to see when Oklahoma does it, if they do it. There are already places I can tell. It's funny if you go into different places, uh, the amount of people wearing masks versus not, whether it be voluntary or not. Um, yeah. Went in Whole Foods yesterday, and I had a mask in my pocket because I also went to a record store yesterday where the guy that owns it, he's an older guy. Um, and so, and he, he just kind of runs it. I mean, it's, it's just his, it's not huge. Yeah. Uh, it's a nice record store, but I get why he does it. He's probably in his late mid sixties, uh, maybe closer to 70. So I get, I get it for him, but I went into Whole Foods, everybody wearing a mask. Um, so I thought, well, I'll put mine on. And I went into Walmart, nobody. Yeah. There's a mask. crowds of people there. Right, right. I was just it, that that There's could two be types of people in the world those that go to Walmart and those that go to Whole Foods, right? You know, but sometimes you got to go to Whole Foods. Well, I go to Whole Foods for uh, a, a few things, they have a great beer selection. I'm not drinking beer right now, but they also have a great sparkling water and juice selection. And I'm that like is Whole what Foods, but it's so overpriced. Like, I saw a bag of chips there a while back for seven bucks. I'm like, get the hell out of here. Yeah, some of the shit is ridiculous. I, I tell you, I've been drinking these um, energy drinks. Um, they're zero cows, zero sodium, uh, zero sugar. Um, they're called highball energy seltzers, and they're essentially sparkling water with caffeine in it, and they taste great. I get the grapefruit kind. And they're made by AB InBev, which is like Budweiser and the like. Um, and you can't, I can't find them anywhere. I, I found them, quick trip and carried them for a while, and I they ran out of them or they didn't carry them anymore. And I thought, like, where are I gonna find them? Found out they were at Whole Foods, it's 20 pretty much $23 for a case of eight of them. And I hate paying that, but they're delicious. But Whole Foods on the on the down low, I'm, I'm airing it out right now, but on the DL, Whole Foods has at least the one I go to has not changed up their POS system. So the barcode reads, if you get the if you get the cashier that doesn't give a shit, which is 75% of them I found, they <laughs> ring up. When you ring up a case of eight of them, they ring up as a single can. Mm. So I'm paying $3 for eight of them instead of $23. Um, and so that's, that's I'm, I'm getting all that I can right now. So that's really what I'm that. going for. That's next level. It's, it is, and I, I haven't said a word, obviously. Hey, so I feel bad. You know, if it was a local mom and pop shop, I might say something. This is, I'm taking Bezos' money. Right. All right. A uh, little bonus tomfoolery, by the way, before we go. I, I, I had to mention this. 
Have you seen Britney Spears' Instagram lately, Tom? I have not. I've, I've seen, like, someone, maybe it was you or Jose or somebody, one of our friends, sent me a picture or maybe a, a, a snap from her Instagram. She's like just butt naked all the time now, like, just showing her full-on ass. Like, she's been freed and such, and I didn't realize that, you know, getting freed meant that she's just showing off her naked self all the time. I mean... She's the preacher's daughter times 10. I mean, it's Britney, bitch. There you go. I mean, yeah. I mean, we've been... Uh, <laughs> we were not, you know, we've been waiting for this Britney to reappear. I mean, I was so happy for her to win that conservatorship, and, you know, that was some BS she dealt with. Uh, I mean, I I'm glad that she can find herself, you know? I mean, if this what makes her happy, I mean, by all means. I mean, I was hearing, Tom, that uh, in her conservatorship, she couldn't even have a cell phone there for a while. Yeah, which is crazy. Can you imagine being that age? You know, let's say Lisa and Charlie were over you and said, Jones, what? You know, you you can't have a girlfriend. You, you can't have a, you can't drive. Uh, you can't have a cell phone. And uh, we're going to limit everything you do. I mean, if I went that long without a phone and I just now got access to it and all this, I'd probably be posting naked pictures of myself too. I don't blame Brittany. Right. You're like, oh, well, this is what it's like. Yeah, I mean, you know, she's trying to make up for all the lost years, I suppose. I don't blame her. <laughs> that's wild, man. That's, that's something. It's Brittany, bitch. There you go. <laughs> On that note, we will run. Big thanks to Seth Kaiser for joining us, as well as Bo O'Connor with the Football Fix presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. And a uh, quick plug, by the way, Tom, uh, that I got to tell you about uh, before we go. We have a new partnership to announce here on the Jones Report. Uh, we are teaming up with BetUS. Check this out, guys. Life is back on sports bettors, and BetUS has your NBA, NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines up for their 27th year in live betting on all of it. Log in to betus.com or call 800-792-3887. That's 800-792-BETUS. BETUS for a 125% bonus with promo code JONES22 at checkout. That's promo code JONES22. And you can also get uh, a 200% uh, deposit match if you use crypto. Customer service pros are ready to get your phone, social, and online sports betting kicking off started right now. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You win, you bet, you get paid, BetUS.com. Um, and, of course, check out the Studio Soapbox Network, this show, Coach Bo's show, uh, Let's Go Racing with David Starr. Got a great interview with State, Stanton Barrett out this week. The Bevo boys, looks like all that. Certainly want to check out. As always, subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Follow me on Twitter at Tyler Jones Live. Follow Thomas at Thomas underscore Bridges, Studio underscore Soapbox. Twitter, Tyler Jones Live, Studio Soapbox. Instagram, Jones underscore Report, Tyler Jones Live, and it's Thomas. You can find us there. For Thomas Bridges and our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Book. See you next week.